Fault Lines. Live, welcome to the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your indefatigable, ever vigilant, last man on the wall, your political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. Yeah, trying to do two things at once always screws you up. It's like what did I tell you? Mindset. Yeah. Men have singular focus, <laughs> and women can multitask. Yeah. Our brains were just designed differently, and that's yeah. okay. That's perfectly okay. And, that, and that's perfectly okay. And, and you know what's funny? I forgot to mention. Like yesterday, we were talking about what we did or didn't do. Yeah. Well, I, I more or less talked about, you know, Fourth of July weekend. What we didn't do was we avoided fireworks, so we didn't do fireworks. Right. Right. Which I'm perfectly okay with, because the have you seen the prices of these things? You're literally burning money. Oh, we, they were, even last night they were still doing fireworks. They were still. <laughs> like I was sitting on the couch and you could just see them on the outside of your window just going off. In my neighborhood, it was the, on the third. Uh huh. They were popping stuff off as my husband and I were watching Netflix, like Stranger Things. Yeah. And I was seeing strange bangs out of nowhere, like boom. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. And and that was fine. We we're also watching this um. The, the terminal list on Amazon Prime, which is a, a Chris Pratt show. Apparently, it's a show. It's a okay. new show. But so the bangs, uh, it's a, it's like a. Is this Chris Pratt in comedy or Chris Pratt taking people out? Like taking people out. A, okay, taking people out. It's the newer Chris Pratt. Okay, fair the enough. The new version yeah. of Chris Pratt, not the lovable <laughs> lug from Parks and Rec. Right, right, right. This is like, like I'm Rambo, Chris Pratt. Yeah. So the bangs and pops outside were. Blended right in. It oh, was okay. Fun. It was punctuated. By, How, by, by however, what TV. I will say, watching this last part. By the way, Netflix says that uh, this season, the season four of Stranger Things, mm-hmm. has hit over a billion streams. Really? And it has become the second biggest streaming success that they've had since their inception, behind Squid Games. You know, it's wild. I've never seen Stranger Things. <clears throat> I've never seen Ever? it. It's I, great. I, I love that stuff. I, everybody keeps telling me that it is phenomenal it's and that great. they're shocked that I haven't watched it yet. I am shocked. I mean, it it talks about, I don't know if it's not I, I'm not aliens. a big fan of kids. Well, it is aliens, if I'm not mistaken, I if mean, I remember correctly. No, it's paranormal. Which I thought she was, there was like an alien abduction or someone. They yeah, were testing abduction. genetic experiments. Abduction. Paranormal. What's a paranormal abduction? Yes. Oh, meaning it's something else. It's not right. like from not another planet. Not from another planet. Oh, it's another dimensional. Interesting. It's interesting. just a dimension thing. Okay. It's a dimension thing. And there are science experiments and there are like um, mental things. Yeah. She has so like I powers, thought, like mental powers. I thought you would like something like that. I would. I, I am not a big fan of kids <laughs> in television series. Because to me, I didn't it's think like, I would like that either. Because yeah, to me, it's like, these are just children. I thought, I mean, I didn't think I would be into it either, but it's actually really good. And I think because we are children of the 80s and it's like a throwback to it the 80s. It feels right. It feels right. Yeah. It feels like you're looking at like your childhood yeah. on TV. So it doesn't feel necessarily like I'm a woman in my 40s looking at kids on TV. Yeah. But I'll tell you. Kind of like the, it. It yes. was a little bit like that. But like the the new one. Yeah. The new one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's kind of a throwback. Yeah. So you you... I think you you as an adult 40 plus that remembers the 80s, you kind of like take yourself back there. Through that lens. Right. You're through the lens of when you were a kid in the 80s. Yeah. So in this case with Stranger Things, I noticed in season four, 
even the latter part of season three, mm-hmm. I, you know, I always believe that that politics reflects in our entertainment. Oh, absolutely. And entertainment reflects politics. Thousand percent right. I don't know which one comes first, the chicken or the egg, but they both reflect one another. Yeah. That's for sure. And in Stranger Things, who do you suppose they're, you know, part of the, there's a lot of bad guys on Stranger Things, but who do you suppose the bad guys are in season four? Well, see, the government could have played bad guys the entire well, way through always, if they were trying to get yeah. the person, yeah. Russia. Oh, of course. Of course. Of course. Of course, Russia, right? So I can't help, but while I'm watching this and think, like, of course, we're back to Cold War era. But see, that makes sense anti-Russia Cold War rhetoric. stuff. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. If that's if it's a throwback to the 80s, but yes. we're talking about the Cold War. Right, yeah. right. So the, the Cold War did exist back then yeah. or whatever. But It's at least consistent. I mean, yeah, it's consistent with what was going on then, but it's just, of course, the timing now. And yeah. It just, for me, you know, I have to suspend that disbelief for a little bit and go like, okay, I'm just going to roll with the punches right. because it's it's a fun show. You know, it's, it's good storyline, good plot, great graphics, great everything. Yeah. Right? But of course. Yeah. Of course. And then you add the, you know, the, the current tensions in real life. Yeah. With Russia. I agree with you about that, by the this way. This adds to it. It's always a pain in my ass to have to listen or watch something that I'm like, they've dumped this politics in this nonsense. Right. And it's like, and you know it's a, it's like a propagandistic politics right. into it. It's not like, like this Top is just. Like Top Gun. Like the yeah, Top right. Where it's like, okay, you're you're pushing a message, message through here. And by the way, I feel that way, whether it's um, having people on Star Trek Discovery every other minute saying, I'm being seen, I'm being seen. It's like, dude, would you shut up? Oh, they say that? The, that yes, term? yes. It's a modern term. They uh, say it's it. It's a present day term. All the time. They're like, we're being, I felt seen. It's like, okay. I felt seen. Okay, I'm glad, I'm glad you felt seen. Thank you. Every other episode is like, I felt seen. Oh, it's like, okay, great. God. Or crying or some nonsense like that. It's like they're adding that nonsense into like uh, serenity now serenity now i hate that it aggravates me but no i i know what your point is though it's like you have to kind of just like all right i just let that go just let it go i just enjoy it for what it is just roll with it it's like rambo rambo is a good example or charlie wilson's war i mean i never saw that one is that wilson's war no, um, Charlie Wilson's Charlie war. Wilson's war is where basically they were arming Afghanistan in, you know. Oh, I never saw it. Yeah, because, of course, you got to kill the Russians. And, of course, arming Afghanistan with all of these missiles and everything else was right by definition because we were doing et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with Rambo. Rambo is in the middle of another country. The Afghanistan thing is going on. And it's like if you're just watching it, Wait, you're not going to get the context. One? No, this is the old one. Oh, this okay. is Rambo, what, five or something? Oh, God, I never watched that far along. One yeah. and two was enough. Yeah. Yeah, I— and, and a young Sly. A yeah. young Sly Stallone enough. Yeah, he can still As talk. he got older, Yeah, like, muscles, oh, all that good stuff. Fun. Yeah. At the point where he lost the ability to talk. Right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, You're like, what? Yeah. What, what's he saying? <laughs> Wait, did, did he call them VC? What did he say? <laughs> right. What did he say? Right, right. Like, I don't, I don't like that. Yeah. Like, just for the sake of having an A-lister on yeah. there, even though they're, like, way past their prime. It's kind of like putting Joe Biden in for president. It's like, exactly. all right, dude, too far. <laughs> I get you want the dollars. I get you want that control. But you've just, you know, you're abusing an old some, man right get now. Give me someone that can talk. Right, give me somebody God's that sake. can talk. Come on. <laughs> Come on. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's actually what we did do. We didn't do fireworks, but we did. Movies. Geek out on, on Netflix stuff. And for me, there was a little part of my brain that was going bitching, going, that's anti-Russian propaganda. (laughs) Like, this is adding to the problem and why, this is why America can't get over Russia being the boogeyman. When you and your husband are together, does that come up? Do you mention it? Oh, yeah. 
Okay. I mean, just He's like used to it at this point. One mention. Yeah. I didn't keep harping about it where I'm, I'd like slap him, you know, just, you know. It's like just, right there. Like right there. They're you doing it that? again. You right. see that? <laughs> of course the Russians are the bad. Of course the Russians have this or that. Of course. Bring it up once and let it go. Right. And then I'm like, okay. All right. It's fine. 80s was for real Cold War. Yes. I get it. Because okay. I get that. I can live with okay. that. I can live with that. I'm okay. All right. Serenity now. Yeah. And just, just enjoy Manila. Let it go. <laughs> let geopolitics go. Enjoy for what it is. Right. You're in the supernatural now. And so, you know, in, in the end, we geeked out for all weekend on that. And, and it was good. You, yeah. you should watch it. You have all four out. seasons now. And I, keep, I, I heard from somebody who is typically extremely critical of stuff like that, that he loves season four. Season that season four two was and excellent. three wasn't great. They season were like, four okay, was awesome. Right. Yeah. Two was okay. Three was like, eh. Yeah. Eh. Two, season one was amazing. Oh, oh, yeah, I keep hearing that song. Season one was amazing. Yeah. They they hooked me like a fish. Yeah. And then you're kind of stuck. And then, but because of, of Stranger Things, we gave up on The Walking Dead, which it's like, can you just, can y'all just die or repopulate <laughs> mankind already? Like one or the other, like I'm, I'm done, yeah. Walking Dead. Like, I'm done. What, they on season eight or something? Ten. Oh, wow. Okay. Ten. Or like 10.5 or something. Like, at this point, everybody knows bring, either you bring Rick back for real or you just <laughs> kill him off for real. I get that the actors want to multitask and do other contracts and, you know, like— right. And and then the writers are like, oh, we can keep the storyline oh, going. Oh, I see what you mean. They're writing him out and writing him back in. Right. Okay. They're like putting them on ice, like the lead characters. Yeah. Like they're not really showing you the viewer if they killed the character or whatever. You're they're in limbo. Because if you don't see it, right. You can always bring them back. You can bring them back. I was like, I got hit in the head, and then I was right. I was walking through the and desert for an hour. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. He's kidnapped somewhere, and you're like, oh, is is Rick dead? Is he alive? It's like is they he, introduce aliens he? into the show and be like, I thought it just dropped in the field. Right. It's like, wow, because, these guys are. And I know, you know, working yeah. working in the TV industry, you know what that means. It means that the actor wants to work on other projects, right. and the writer wants to reserve their A lister to yes. come back. Yeah. So they We're leave you. The space for you, bro. They leave you, the viewer, in limbo. Yeah. Which, at this point, it's like, dude, how many zombies? How many like twenty-year-old cans of spam are you gonna have the characters eat? Yeah. How many old, you know, pork and beans cans are you gonna have these people eat? Like, okay, it's it's worn itself that basically. right. It just can you've worn out your welcome. See, can Supernatural you didn't do that. Do Supernatural was able to do like ten seasons, and something always was new. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were seasons where they just knocked it out of the park. Like Dean Winchester going to hell was astonishing. But all things being equal, they it they were able to keep that high keel going the entire way through for all wow, those seasons. Wow, that's hard. It is hard. That's and hard don't get do. me wrong. There might have been one or two that slowed down. But, you know, it's like it was always something else being introduced. It was like, okay, they're demons. Oh, whoa, they're angels. Hey, there's God? There's, I mean, it's like each one had <laughs> yeah. something else where they upped the ante. And at a certain point, you're like, okay, I have nowhere else. Where are they going on this? Like, there's right. nowhere else to go. You, you right. hit God. That's where we're at <laughs> right. with Walking Dead, where it's like, I get it. This is the world we're living in right now. Right. There's going to be shortages of everything. We're going to be slaughtering each other for old cans of baked beans. And that's season one. And now they're in 10. Yes, we're in 10. I'm like, okay, people, let's, let's move on. So then Stranger Things came along, and I was like, thank God, because I'm, I'm over the zombies. Yeah. I'm over it. You guys can transition. That's good. Yeah. All right. With that, let's transition to some news, some actual news. 
Let's start off with some domestic news here. The suspected gunman in the 4th of July parade shooting in Illinois was officially charged with seven counts of first-degree murder for allegedly carrying out that attack that left seven people dead. Lake County State's Attorney Eric Reinhardt said this during a press conference. Quote, today, the Lake County State's Attorney's Office has charged Robert Cremo III with seven counts of first-degree murder. Authorities intend on charging Cremo with dozens more crimes in the future, Reinhardt says. Now, Cremo faces a life sentence without the possibility of parole if convicted on those charges. Then the Biden administration has filed a lawsuit against Arizona on Tuesday over a law requiring proof of citizenship to vote in that southwestern state. While voting as a non-citizen is already illegal under U.S. federal law, the DOJ has argued that asking for proof of citizenship is unlawful and unnecessary. Arizona's law, signed by Republican Governor Doug Ducey back in March of this year, would require voters to show documentary proof of citizenship, such as a state driver's license or ID card before casting their ballot, and task county officials with rejecting voter registration applications that don't include proof of citizenship. The law would apply retroactively to voters who are already registered. The government's lawsuit alleges that these restrictions violate the National Voter Registration Act and civil rights. Then a Mississippi judge on Tuesday rejected a lawsuit challenging the state's so-called trigger law restricting abortions in response to the U.S. Supreme Court's overturning of the Roe decision. That's according to the AP. The state's lone abortion clinic, the state has one, one operable abortion clinic in Jackson called Jackson's Jackson Women's Health Organization filed a lawsuit in an attempt to block that trigger law restriction and continues providing services, according to ABC News. The law is expected to take effect on Thursday. Judge Deborah Halford presided over those hearings and ruled in favor of the state's trigger law. The abortion clinic, which filed the lawsuit three days after SCOTUS overturned Roe, will close if their legal challenge fails and restrictions are implemented. That's according to the owner, Diane Durzis. Then some international news now. While Turkish, Finnish, and Swedish leaders have signed a protocol that ostensibly ends a dispute over support for Kurdish groups and individuals, Ankara has signaled it expects the northern European states to live up to their end of the bargain or the deal is off. Said it yesterday. Speaking to Turkey's NTV television station on Monday, Turkish Foreign Minister Mevlut Kabusoglu said Helsinki and Stockholm have to end their support for Kurdish groups and extradite wanted Kurds to Turkey as they agreed last week at the NATO summit in Madrid. Quote, they have to comply with this document. If they don't, then we won't allow them to join NATO. All right, pretty simple. Then on Tuesday, Boris Johnson had to shore up his cabinet after the shock resignation of not one, but two of his most senior ministers, Sajid Javid and Rishi Sunak. The UK health secretary and the chancellor quit within 10 minutes of each other, claiming they could no longer support the prime minister amid fallout from the latest scandal rocking number 10 Downing Street. 
to add more fuel to the fire, Robin Walker has resigned as the school's minister, saying he no longer has faith in the PM's leadership. The MP for Worcester posted his resignation letter on social media this morning. Like, hey, boss, I quit, but I'm not going to tell you directly. I'm just posting it on my Instagram. Earlier, Will Quince, a junior education minister, joined the shockwave of resignations from Boris Johnson's cabinet. Then some economics and finance news. Nearly three-fifths of the public here in the U.S. believe the actions of the U.S. government and President Biden's policies are hurting them, and only 5% say they are primarily concerned about protecting abortion rights. A new Monmouth University Polling Institute poll revealed on Tuesday. Quote, a majority of 57% say the actions of the federal government over the past six months have hurt their family when it comes to their most important concerns. Just 8% say Washington has helped them, according to the poll. Now, the figure marks a sharp increase in the number of those blaming the U.S. government and the Biden administration for their economic woes. Previously, 34 to 47% had said government actions had hurt them. And then some funny news of the day. A San Francisco couple has received a hefty parking fine from the city despite parking in the same spot for 40 years. The spot in question, their own driveway. What on earth? Which the city of San Francisco deemed a violation of decades-old parking codes that bans motor vehicles of all kinds, from being parked on a car pad or set back in front of the house unless it's accompanied by a garage or cover. What? Yeah, talk about petty, like, San Francisco, you have a lot more things to worry about than some old couple that has parked their old Buick in the driveway for 40 years. They're basically saying we don't allow driveway. Long-term parking without a carport or cover. It's their house. Right. It's their property. They own the property. It's their property. So for whatever, I mean, San Francisco, that you, you'll you have a lot more problems than an old couple parking their Buick Saber. And so they went back in time and said, okay, how long have they parked here? And here's right. the fine. For, so oh, here's that's... a 40-year fine. Right. After, oh, it's allowed for one year, so you'll get 39 years or whatever. That's oh, disgusting. you've been parked for 41. Yeah, that's disgusting. And I know. That's petty is an understatement. Just callous. Ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. This is your private property. Now, the homeowners, Judy and Ed Crane, were astonished when learning that parking on their own driveway was a city violation. Quote, I wrote them back saying I thought this was a mistake, Ms. Judy Crane says. To all of a sudden be told you can't use something that we could use for years, it's startling, inexplicable, Ed said. The couple was fined $1,542 for their violation with an additional $250 for every day after that ticket has been issued if they want to continue parking their own car in their own driveway on their own property. And then this day in history, back in 1912, King Gustav V officially opens the fifth Summer Olympics in Stockholm. In 1964, Malawi gains its independence from Great Britain. In 1975, Comoros Islands becomes independent after 137 years of French rule. Then in 2006, Natula Pass 
a trading post between India and China, opens for business. And that is going to do it for your headlines this Wednesday, July 6th. You're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host Manila Chan coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And I don't necessarily have a full-blown monologue this morning. I just kind of want to point something out because I think it's absolutely and entirely funny. At the point where this conflict started, you had all of the Western leaders and a lot of people, especially people coming onto the show, and says, oh, Russia has made such a mistake. Putin looks horrible in this. The Russian military is getting roughed up in this. And their belief was that the sanctions are going to bite in such a way that Moscow is going to rise up and they're going to get rid of Putin because they're going to be under such pressure and strain and the economy is going to collapse to such a degree that the Russian citizenry is going to do the job that the West basically wanted them to do for a very long time. And all of them, in coordination, screamed to themselves, we're united, we're struck together in common purpose, and that common purpose is to protect a government that we helped overthrow and to keep it within our orbit. And anything within the context of that is worth it. But again, when they're saying anything within the context of that is worth it, A, that's a certain amount of projection. B, oftentimes when you're trying to get something done, you want people to believe that your will in a particular thing is infinite. So much so that challenging it isn't something that is ever going to die off, meaning we are willing to pursue this course regardless of how far this course goes. Okay, fair enough. What actually happened? <laughs> Meaning, regardless of what the optics and regardless of what the stated objectives were, while all of these guys coming out in these kind of brimming colors, we're going to do this and protect in, in, in defense of Ukraine. What ended up taking place? Putin's approval rating went to 80%. Full stop. The Russian economy did not collapse. Full stop. The ruble went up in value. Um, the oil or gas as a commodity went up in value, tremendously so. So even though these guys passed all the sanctions and everything else, despite the fact um, that values have gone down, the amount of money that Moscow was making has basically gone up. Now, from the standpoint of the West, what took place? Biden's approval rating is milling around um, at, what, 30-something percent? Maybe 40 percent? If you get it on a really good day and you squint at it in the sun, that type of thing. Um, if you're looking at across the globe, and not just that, the damage that the West is taking here is astonishing. And this is not a situation where the person or Biden and his administration could basically try to shape reality of this. Because the reality that he's trying to shape, nobody is buying. Everybody understands that it was his actions that basically propagated this conflict in the way that it's propagated. And whereas the American public may be okay with you basically doing this stuff abroad, they may even accept your premise and your framing of it, despite the fact that they're not necessarily giving an honest contextual take of it. They may accept all that. What they care about is, how much do I have to pay for this? I have to pay $80 to fill up this little beat a bug um, that I'm driving around in. I have to pay how much for food now? And why do I have to pay this much for food and gas? Why am I paying these exorbitant prices? And you have the president of the United States saying it is going to be this way indefinitely. And you, as an American household, should be perfectly willing to take a hit in regards to you being colder, poor, driving less, traveling less, etc. For Ukraine, a country you didn't even know existed prior and certainly wasn't necessarily engaged in the last eight years where ethnic Russians were being killed by the Ukrainian government. 
if you look across Europe, they are worse off. And they're worse off in a very specific um, way because oil, gas, energy. Whereas the United States basically, worse come to worse, could work itself up. It produces enough. It could produce enough if it needed to. If things got extremely bad to the point where the capitalistic system mattered less than the propagation of manufacturing of that matter of the state, the state would get involved. Europe does not have the luxury. And all things being equal, by the time they end up towards, let's say, January, let's say through the winter months, if it becomes an issue of cessation of gas, they're screwed. And they know they're screwed. And I would imagine that the talk about rationing energy at this point that is basically going through the society itself, the talk about these farcical price caps, which are just appalling and ridiculous, and honestly would make it worse, some estimates taking gas to $400 a barrel. All of these things are just farcical, wishful thinking based upon what they realize is that there is no way out. There's no magical door. They followed a guy with a 39% approval rating that many in the country believe is literally senile down this particular path with no way out, no magical door. And so from the standpoint of Europe, what is happening? They don't have an out. How do you keep your industry going? I mean, they're talking about German industry basically collapsing in certain areas. How do you heat your homes? If you're looking at what the repress is reporting from the standpoint of the UK, it is appalling. They're talking about thousands of pounds for basically heating and everything else and thousands of homes not being able to heat themselves in the winter. They're talking about these guys running out of fuel for their economies. This is not good. And since the public in those countries is taking a hit for that, directly taking the hit for that in their wallets, what is their tenor? Their tenor, I would say, will end up with political destabilization in Europe. I've said it before. Now, looking at it from the perspective of Macron, Macron has been more apt to basically lean in in order to kind of make these kind of communications with Russia. Didn't matter. The public still recognized him as being a European president as opposed to a French president. And I'm making a distinction there from the standpoint of the way that Macron, let's say, works and looks as opposed to going what's in French's France, best interest. And so what happens? Macron loses his governing majority. And Mélenchon, somebody who's skeptical of NATO, is able to cobble together a basket of parties in order to basically rip away that majority from him. Yes, they're right-wing parties also, but it's that part that's, um, that burns, that stings. And then when you go to the UK, one of the biggest hawks on this particular issue of Ukraine, despite the fact of one of the people with the meagerest ability to do anything about the issue of Ukraine, who competence has never necessarily been a strong suit, Boris Johnson. And what is happening to Boris Johnson right now? Boris Johnson barely, barely got through um, a parliamentary recall. And what, that was a month ago? And now they're already talking about another parliamentary recall? And this is after a calamitous prime ministership. Yes, Boris Johnson was able to gain all sorts of points when he was able to beat the stuffing out of um, Jeremy Corbyn. A lot of that had to do with Corbyn being somewhat weak. A lot of it had to do with Corbyn backbenchers going after him. Whatever. He was able to do it. Now, incompetence. The issues with associated with Northern Ireland, him ignoring the agreements that were basically made to the European Union, for that matter, even um, made to Northern Ireland in and of itself in regards to the Good Friday Agreement. Those things are being breached in regards to his policies at home right now. Right now, the British public is fully aware that what they are encountering from an economic standpoint is directly related to the policies that Boris Johnson had basically pushed. And he has been one of the most belligerent people in this process. And yet, he is also potentially going to lose his job. 
Boris Johnson has had massive numbers of resignations because what it apparently boiled down to is that Boris Johnson was perfectly aware that an individual had groped two other guys and Boris Johnson still put him in a position in government. He has had mass, mass resignations. And the question becomes, how does the government maintain itself when all of these people in the government have shown displeasure at the government itself? Some of these people saying, we can't recognize what the conservative party is right now. Even going so far as to say Johnson gave assurances to the various people that this wasn't the case, that due diligence was done in this very particular hiring situation. Come to find out, not so much. All of them have resigned. Many of them, just scandal across the board. And so whereas Johnson, Macron, and Biden had the stated objective of getting rid of Putin, it seems that they're going to be on their way out long before Putin ever leaves. Competence. <laughs> the key word for today, competence. Or like they're rough. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Chan, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM and 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like and share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202 521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. And I want to go immediately to our guests. We have Mark Sloboda. I think I call him the voice of truth and knowledge and wisdom. He's an international relations and security analyst. Mark, welcome to the show, my man. How are you doing this morning? Tomorrow, Manila, thanks for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on Fault Lines. Good morning. It is always an honor and a pleasure to have you. And so, the last time that we've seen you, or between then and now, the Lugansk region has just fallen into Russia's control. And um, Vladimir Putin was having a conversation with Shoigu, or let's say a, a presentation, a report that was being given. And he was going through the casualties, and the casualties are astonishing. And some of the people who basically try to make this case like, oh, these guys pulled out orderly. This is not indicative of an orderly withdrawal. So right here, according to Shoigu, Ukrainian troops sustained 5,469 casualties over the last two weeks, including 2,218 fatalities. The fighting also caused Kiev a significant amount of hardware, including 12 warplanes, six long-range air defense missile systems, 97 artillery um, rocket launchers, 200 tanks, other armor, the defense ministry reported. That is a massive loss, like by, by all stretches of the imagination. And this is not including several Donets. This is very specific to Lizzie Chance in regards to the number of casualties and everything else. Um, this is, I mean, this is clearly going in a very particular direction. And it seems that the, the speed at which Russia is advancing is accelerating. What is your take on this, by the way, just in general, especially with the Lugansk region falling under Russian control? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, I mean, uh, I wouldn't say that listen that uh, Lissy Chansk has fallen under Russian control. It's actually followed under Lugansk control because uh, the the uh, Lugansk uh, People's Republic is now fully liberated, and it has to be kept in mind that the majority of the heavy fighting in Severodonetsk and Lissy Chansk was done uh, by 
what were formerly East Ukrainians, right? right? The, the, the people the of yeah. Lugansk. Yeah. So um, there, I mean, there definitely was no orderly withdrawal, whatever the, the propaganda from either Severodonetsk uh, or Lysychansk. And it's this agglomerated city area uh, on both sides, one on one side, one on the other of the northern Donetsk uh, River. Um, what Russia did was they nearly completed a cauldron on an envelopment, but left one highway almost certainly purposefully uh, open. Uh, in line with Sun Tzu's uh, Golden Bridge strategy, I, uh, you know, uh, don't uh, let your opponent no opportunity to escape or no hope of escape, uh, so they don't fight to the death and so on. But uh, Zelensky evidently repeatedly refused request after request after request from his own top generals to withdraw troops first from Severodonetsk and then from Lysychansk uh, because of, for political reasons, right? This was uh, all about PR and image and everything. And when his military was telling him, we can't defend this, right? Uh, we, we, we can't keep it. And we're just going to lose troops and, and equipment that we can't afford to. He made them stay, made them stay, made them stay on, until it was too late, right? Um, and when they ordered the withdrawal, it seems almost clear that the withdrawal was happening because troops were just fleeing right. uh, and they were just uh, attempting to create the image that they were in control of it. And when we say that these troops were retreating, right, they're retreating in small numbers without any heavy gear left to them. Right. And they are running uh, along a one slim road that the Russian and Donbass forces had fire control on both sides, which means they were constantly being pummeled by artillery, right? Um, and from what I have heard, it seems very likely that they suffered more casualties on the withdrawal, on the retreat, on the, the full-scale flight than they did actually in any organized defense of the city. And, you know, that that is, you know, um, a, a, a cluster F. Yeah, you know? that, that's an appalling <laughs> loss of life. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And it was pointless. It was absolutely pointless. Wow. So what is the current military situation on the ground? And what is going to be the next campaign? Or do we even know at that point? I mean, I've heard yeah. reports about Servesk. Um, what's, yeah. yeah, what's the latest on the ground? And where's the next, let's say... Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of got to pull up a map for this, but let me let me try and lay it out to you. So <laughs> the, the, the first part of the Donbass, the Lugansk administrative region, has been fully liberated. Uh, and now the focus is on the rest of the Donetsk region. And they're basically pushing forward directly from the cauldron straight forward. And there's a line of three small cities, uh, Seversk, Bakhmut and um uh, it escapes me just for the minute, Solidar. Um, and a, kind of a hasty defense line is trying to be created there, composed of a lot of the troops who have just fled out of Severodonetsk and Lysychansk, trying to get back control of them and, and, and throw them back on a new defensive line. But this is 
this is not going to be nearly as well defended as uh, Seversk and Liski Chans were, um, and they did not last very long, despite you know the pronouncements that that they would hold the Russian military there and throw them back, and you know all the the, the, the typical emperor has no clothes propaganda that we're used to hearing out of uh, Zelensky and the Kiev regime. I think. We'll we'll see about a week where uh, they the Russian and Allied forces are advancing forward, cementing and consolidating the areas they've taken and taking the the few small villages and stuff until they reach that line of three cities, uh, and then they it seems most likely that they will go for Solodar first, although they they may make a multi pronged attack. Um, and Bakhmut is, is the one that will be the, the heaviest defended and also the most strategically important because it's a junction center. Uh, this hole may take about two to three weeks, uh, past that, then we reach the, the last climactic battle, right? It won't be the last battle, but it will be the big climactic battle for the Donetsk. And this is the, the big fortified last line of defense at uh, Krematorsk, Slavyansk, and uh, Konstantinovka. And after that, uh, the, the Russian and Donbass forces, that could take a month, two months. Again, Russia's not in any hurry here. They think time is on their side. And they will prep the battlefield with extensive artillery, just the way they did for um, uh, Severodonetsk and Lysychansk um, and uh, Papasnaya. Uh, they, they will prep it good and hard and brutally 24-7 pound uh, the Kiev regime forces in their fortifications built up over years. Uh, and only when there's nothing left moving and not much living left will will they go in that's why they have that's how they have reduced casualties on their side to negligible and and you know come up with this really terrible brutal uh daily kill count uh on the kiev regime forces side um uh, after that they will then have to swing south to take their our fortified uh heavily fortified ukrainian positions just outside donetsk that they continue to bomb donetsk city from that is at veevka marinka and they're really tough to take head on so that will be the last thing they take uh after kramatorsk and slavyansk are liberated they will swing to the south and then take these couple of settlements in the south from behind where the defenses won't do them much good because they'll be have been positioned in a forward facing direction. And after that, there's nothing left in all of Ukraine that has the type of defenses that Russia has been grinding through for the last two months and probably will for another month or two on top of this. But once that's done, going into late fall, the winter, then it's just big, lots of open steppe areas to the to the to the Dnieper River and Kharkov and Odessa, right? To big metropolitan areas, but you won't see these intense uh, battles over fortified areas that have been built up over years. Already, the regular Ukrainian military that they're they're. Real military units are ground down by numbers. We've heard 80% casualties, and the front line is filled with territorial defense that are conscripted civilians with guns tossed in their hand, and if they're lucky, a week or two of training. Uh, and that can't hold. 
well, that Mark, cannot hold. Mark, let, let me ask you this. I mean, just last week, Joe Biden announced another $800 million that would be going towards uh, Ukraine. Um, and he said he said in the coming days, he didn't specify a timeline, but he said in the coming days. So it's, you know, presumably after the 4th of July weekend, and now they're going to get back on track to wiring the money or arms or whatever it is. But at this point, we're looking at 55 billion U.S. dollars, whether in arms, goods, lend-lease programs, whatever. But that's a hell of a lot of arms. And we keep talking yeah. about how poorly armed the Ukrainian side is. Well, let's just presume it's half of the 55 billion. I mean, that's still a lot of arms. Where are all of those? Yeah, it's actually probably more like 25% of that 55 billion. A lot of it is going directly to restock the U.S.'s own supplies and to European allies. But even that is a substantial amount. But First of all, you know the the U.S. military industrial complex. Everything is overpriced. I mean, you're you're paying, you know, uh, two hundred dollars for a little screw, you know, or, or you know, a bullet. All right. Um, second of all, the Kiev regime forces what regular military they had that was not conscription. Remember, they've had a conscription military for years. Um, they were trained on Soviet era weapons, which are about twenty years out of date, but when you take a look at it, the U.S. has a lot of 20 and 30 year old equipment uh, uh, that is in stock, you know, that is regular use as well, because they are still uh, extremely destructive weapons. Right. Uh, that's what they've used so far. They're not trained. They don't have the, the logistics. They don't have the maintenance, the supply to to integrate huge amounts of Western weapons that they are untrained on. Um the last eight years, NATO has spent building up the Ukrainian military, and essentially, that Ukrainian military is destroyed. Right now, they are trying to create a whole new military out of conscripted civilians in, in West Ukraine and Germany um, with all this NATO equipment that is coming in piecemeal, mm. right? Um, it's, it's not enough. It's they're not trained on it. They can't maintain logistics and maintenance on it. Um, they can't they don't have the time to properly integrate and train on it. Um, you, you can't build a new army in the middle of a conflict. Right. Especially on, you know, foreign military equipment. It just it's a it's a, a fantasy. It's it's absurd. Yeah. Right. All of these weapons, first of all, they're already being tossed piecemeal into the right. battle on the Eastern Front. Uh, the word just from uh, Russian media, the Russian Ministry of Defense, of those four, ooh, four multiple launch rocket systems, right? <laughs> Kiev has already lost four, 700 of them. Sorry, 700. Wow. <laughs> right? All right? And yeah, I mean, they're, they're equivalent to the top line of the Russian Soviet systems, right? This marriage. Sure. But- that that's it. You know, it's not like anything. And two of them have already been destroyed. They were just destroyed today. So, um, you know, supposedly the U.S. is going to send four more. But by that time, they will just be replaced replacements for, uh, you know, the four that were originally sent. It's a joke. Well, right. It's here's, a token. Here, here's another part to this, Mark. Uh, according to Defense One dot com, this is the, the headline from the other day. Pentagon oh Agency <laughs> wants to send arms monitors to Ukraine. Subheader, the defense officials would make sure U.S. weapons are being used and stored 
properly. Now, the, the article goes on to say, Pentagon leaders should consider sending weapons inspectors to Ukraine to monitor the billions of dollars worth of U.S. arms flowing to the country, according to a top Department of Defense official. All U.S. officials can do now is review receipts of the arms transfers from other locations in Europe and take Ukrainian officials' word that the weapons are being used and properly stored. Quote, over time, we would like to be able to extend our insights with greater presence on the ground, said Jed Royal, deputy director of the Defense Security Cooperation Agency, the arm of the Pentagon that oversees U.S. arms sales. So there are people in the in the DOD going, hey, guys, are we sure what we just sent is going? Like, are the people, are they using it? Or, I mean, why are they getting, you know, just just run all over? Right. What, where, are they using the stuff we sent? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, all right, I mean, so you're sending billions of dollars of arms and economic aid, U.S. taxpayer dollars, to the most corrupt country in the world in a state of war. What what could go wrong, right? I mean, <laughs> we we already are undoubted. We, we've seen it that uh, U.S. supplied weapons to the Kiev regime. A certain number of them are already on sale on the dark net. And Turkish-backed jihadis in in Syria are all excited yeah. about their new javelins and British N-laws and supposedly even a howitzer, right? Uh, I, I don't even know how that got there, right? But, um, you know, they're already celebrating that. And um, we've already heard from the New York Times that there's already CIA special forces and commandos from 20 NATO countries on the ground in Ukraine, coordinating the flow of Western weapons right into the hands of, you know, like right sector at Azov, yes. <laughs> you know, the, the, their best fighters on the front line, the neo-Nazi uh, uh, death squads. Right. So, I mean, I don't know what the when you're talking about sending Pentagon people there on top of what they said was a, a this, you know, uh, U.S. and other Western sp uh, spies and special forces on the ground in a big way. There's there's just two words that define that. That's mission creep. Right. This is the same thing we saw in Vietnam. It's the same thing that we saw in Syria when Obama said he was sending the CIA in to mm -hmm. coordinate the flow of weapons to uh, the head chopping jihadis. I mean, moderate jihadis. I mean, <laughs> moderate rebels. Sorry. Um, the same thing. They're going to the moderate Nazis here. Um, and um, it's just mission creep. We've already got the CIA and special forces. Let the Pentagon put some, you know, put some Reeboks on the ground, too. And uh, no boots uh, on the ground. It, it's right. just, yeah. It just, yeah, right. It just goes up from here. Well, right? to be clear, and, these, these would be guys that are just, you know, literally like the pencil neck eggheads that go or not even eggheads. Sure. Because, well, sure. They would be. These are, right. these are, well, they, they say, I right, mean, well, quote, okay, unquote, trainers and advisors. I, I, no, no, I would say when Obama matter. was in office and it was a series, he was like, there are no boots on the ground. There are no boots on well, the ground. He kept the, saying it over what, and over again. Defense, they were clearly boots on the ground. What defense one is saying is that the Pentagon, the, the checks and balance system there uh -huh. is the, the people that monitor the money. Right, like from the comptroller's office, they want to know. They want to, you know, balance, going? balance their their books. Yeah. So they have a different mission. These aren't, you know, these these aren't sure. these, uh, you know, warring gun toting badasses from the Pentagon. Sure. These are the guys that do the math and crunch the numbers. And it says here in the article, 
The Pentagon's end-use monitoring mission typically involves inspectors physically reviewing weapons and checking serial numbers. Oh, good luck with that. Like that's, good luck with that. That's, what, good that's luck how with they that. check as they go by and look at serial. And does this one match? It's like, let's drag and that like, weapon out of the mud. <laughs> check the serial number. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about a country where nearly every region of the country is getting air alarm warnings right. from Russian airstrikes every single night. Cruise missile strikes. Um, the artillery that Russian has, you know, fires uh, dozens of kilometers. There's no safe place, you know, uh, that that these bean counters, quote unquote. And if you believe that they're just talking bean counters, I've got a bridge in Crimea I'd like to sell you. <laughs> yeah, I I want to move over slightly um, to Finland and Sweden. And then I want to get to the British government and have a bit of a laugh at Bojo before we close it. Um so one of the things I kind of made the point of saying, it takes a while for NATO membership to go through, even if you want to expedite it. It takes a while for it to go through. And that when the U.S., meaning Biden with the F-15 or F-16s, and with Finland and Sweden basically saying, we're not going to be extraditing these um, Kurdish people, et cetera. Well, Erdogan came out and said, look, if you want to be part of NATO, you will do what you said you were going to do or you would not be part of NATO. Now, this was the most rational thing in the world um, that Erdogan was going to say. And we even had, I remember our producer was like, these guys are not going to be part of NATO. He didn't believe it. What is your take on this? I mean, I don't think Erdogan is playing on this. And I think he holds all the cards. No, no, I, I, I think that uh, they, uh, you know, Erdogan is continuing to be Erdogan, that um what they're talking about being extradited is a number of, of Kurds who are at this point citizens right. of Sweden and Finland. Some of them are even politicians. Right. They are not going to be handed over. And Erdogan knows they're not going to be handed over. He's pressing for more other things, right, while saying that this is what it's about. He got the U.S. already announced that the F-16 deal, they, they got, all right, the, the existing F-16 deal is scrapped, but they're putting forward a new F-16 <laughs> deal now for Erdogan, right? So he already got that out of it, right? We know that. Um, and some other things, I'm sure, as well. And he's pressing for more. Finland and Sweden, first of all, they're already de facto NATO members. Right. It doesn't make that much different. This is all about the info war, just proving to Russia that no matter what, we're going to geopolitically expand NATO and there's nothing you can do about it. Russia's like Finland and Sweden. Oh my, right? I mean, <laughs> the only danger there is of U.S. military bases, uh, missile systems being put in Finland, right? That's that's the danger. If that happens, then then Russia will have to take some type of action, uh, which will mean a missile systems put somewhere, maybe, you know, stuff sent to Venezuela or Cuba. It, you know, it won't oh. be a type of, you know, what we're seeing in Ukraine because this, the strategic uh, value and difference is completely different. But, you know, they will take some type of action. But right now, when Finland, you know, all this noise in the West, Finland and Sweden are joining NATO and Russia, you know, they have have to say publicly that we're against this and it's not it's only going to destabilize and everything but behind closed doors they're like yawn oh no <laughs> not that right? is that is that all you got really really you know why don't why don't you go put on another sweater and try to warm yourself because it's going to be getting real cold in europe real soon um and you're not going to have any gas this time uh not from us anyway wow uh, so yeah I, i'm russia's not uh, again, they're not bothered. It, they're it, not phased by those. The US, 
if the U.S. puts air bases there or missile systems, that's different. But right now, Russia's not scared of the Finnish military coming across frozen swamps, right, uh, into St. Petersburg. It, it, I mean, issue. there's more people in one district of Moscow than there is in all of Finland. Finland. I mean, oh, wow. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I appreciate that. And I, I accept the take. I am curious about what Erdogan wants on top of this. I mean, I know about the Kurdish in Syria. I know about pulling back the sanctions and that type of stuff. But it'd be curious. I mean, like you said, Erdogan is being Erdogan. Um, but well, we have a few minutes. I want to get to um, the UK. So right here. This is... And I'll just read it. It said, the latest crisis blew up out of Downing Street's handling of the last week's resignation by Deputy Chief Whip Chris Pincher, who stepped down from last week's post or stepped down from his post on Thursday amid allegations he groped two guests at a private dinner night, uh, party. Let's be clear. He groped two men at a dinner party. It says, when he did not admit the allegations directly, Pincher said in a letter to Johnson that, quote, last night drank far too much. Embarrass myself and other people. That's an understatement. That's an understatement. So Downing Street has struggled to explain why Pincher was in the government in the first place. And what they found out was that there was a complaint against him already. And it says on Tuesday, it emerged that a complaint had been made against Pincher in a foreign office about three years ago and that Johnson was briefed on what happened. And so all of a sudden, mass resignations back to back to back where all of these people, including an additional two um, yesterday. <clears throat> Is there is, is Moscow getting a bit of a laugh out of this? I mean, like I mentioned in the monologue, all of their Johnson has been one of the most hawkish people on this issue of the Ukrainian war, even to the point where it is clearly adversely affecting. You're talking about not having heat. They've already had reports about ten, like thousands of people going into the winter without necessarily having heat. Is Moscow getting a laugh out of this? And what's your take on this in general? Yeah, I mean, I don't think Russia. I mean, I mean, there's a certain amount of personal satisfaction just because how much Bojo has opened his big um, clownish mouth, uh, you know, in recent months. But the Kremlin knows full well that whoever replaces him out of, you know, uh, the uh, British political elite is going to continue the same foreign policy. Mm. And whatever happens in Britain domestically, this is domestic politics. It's it, they could care less about, right? This is, uh, Real quick, just a, is it a really, rotating of the figureheads. Real quick, is it really domestic politics, though? I mean, I have to imagine yes. that some of the pressure that's going on Bojo is related to the, let's say, the facts on the ground, meaning in regards to the amount that those people are paying, the amount they're paying for energy, food, et cetera, et cetera. That has to be taken that, a that toll. Be, there, there's no, there is no British, whether you're talking the other people, uh, other Tories, whether you're talking the Labour Party or even the hopeless Liberal Democrats, there is no serious British political elite that would change a British foreign policy towards what's going on in Ukraine one iota. Oh, good point. Very good point. Mark? They, they don't. I mean, Ken Stormer would be, if anything, even more hawk. Oh, he would be horrendous. Yeah, he would be utterly horrendous. And as far as I know, in my, pay, my paying attention to British politics, Stormer is part and parcel to the reason that Johnson was able to basically stay solidified in that position. Anyway, he's horrible um, at that role, even more, I mean, worse than um, Corbett. But I digress. Mark, always appreciate having a conversation with you. Mark Sloboda. He's an international relations and security analyst. You can follow Mark on Twitter at MarkSaboda1 and find him on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Gramsci. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Chan, back in a moment. Fault Lines. 
live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. Really good conversation with Mark. I always enjoy those conversations. I can sit there and talk to Mark for hours. Yeah, hours. I, I appreciate when someone not only knows their stuff, but when there is a little bit of levity. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like it's so dark, you have to right. take humor in it. Yeah. Well, because you can only listen to facts and figures and yeah. like hard, horrible news. It's like this person died, and this person died horribly, right, just, and this person died more horribly. Like, and it's like, oh, God, okay. <laughs> just monotone yeah. you know, the whole time, because I get it. You're talking about serious stuff. Yeah. But for me, I guess maybe I have like this dark sense of humor. I, the, pit, the, t- the, the dark sense of humor makes it work. Right, like when you're talking about this. It's morbidly funny. For me, it sinks in more, like it registers in my brain. Yeah. Whereas otherwise, I'm hearing Bueller. Right. Bueller. (laughs) Right. Bueller. You know what it is? It's like humor in general is absurdity. Yes. Whether it's dark or whether it's not. And sometimes that dark humor, oh man. And I got to be honest, I think part of this too, if we're being very, very, very honest with ourselves, at least me, I'll be honest, I'll, I'll speak for myself. There's an element of this where it's like, this shouldn't be happening. And you guys are doing this. You guys are targeting a country like this. And so the fact that they fail in the targeting on some level, it's like, you deserve that. Now, the problem is it goes along to the populations and everything else where it's like, oh, I hate the fact that this is affecting people because those people didn't have anything to do with this. It's that part, right? But the absurdity in regards to the political leaders who got themselves in this situation, yeah, there's a bit of... You know, like the bottle Zelensky tears of, of vodka or something. That's funny to me. That's yes. I mean, but it's like, what does it mean and why? Like, the, like the meaning of it is dark. Yeah. It's dark. So it's like those two, you know, those two things grapple. Yeah, I, I agree with like, you on this. But those are crocodile tears anyway, so. Okay. I don't buy him. You don't buy him? I don't buy, no, that he's sad. I mean, if anything, he's sad that he's being held hostage by his own government. <laughs> and I would imagine nobody wants to lose a war. Like, that looks utterly ridiculous. I remember when um, Azerbaijan was going at it with um, Armenia. And it's like, Pashtian dragged that country into a conflict and then lost. It's like, now, he was able to retain the government and everything else. But they would have got, if they could have got their hands on him when he basically gave up, um, uh, uh, wow, well, oh, what is it, Karba, uh, It'll come back to me. Nagarna Karba. When he oh. gave up that territory. If they would have, if they could have gotten their hands on him on that. But again, led them into a war, lost the war. The consequences see, those, of that. But those are serious politicians, experienced yeah. politicians. I don't view Volodymyr Zelensky as a serious politician. Isn't that even worse though? Like, the fact that they should have known better. That's why I think the tears that he's shedding are are different than what somebody who has, you know, really invested their lives in. Yeah in committing to change of whatever it is in whatever country it is, right? Yeah. Like somebody that spent, you know, 30 years starting, you know, in, in some village somewhere, changing local politics there. And, yeah. and you're really invested. That's your life. Like Evo Morales. Evo Morales was able to right. bring the indigenous Evo, yeah. community, all that stuff, that, right? I get why he would be sad, yeah. right? That he's expelled from his own country. Right. Like, I get that. but Like that hurts. You had yeah. so much invested in it. It hurts. But when you have a millionaire Eastern European comedian out of nowhere, becoming president and suddenly, oh, he cares so deeply. And I mean, You play one on TV. Like, bro. You play one on TV, Manila. Bro. Like, 
That'd just be like, I don't know, like Jim Carrey becoming prime minister of Canada. <laughs> like, and I love Jim Carrey. Yeah. I think, I think I've heard some weird things about him, but as an actor, as I, an love, actor, I yeah. love Jim Carrey as an actor. And, but like, would you want him to be, to succeed prime minister Justin Trudeau? I don't know, maybe. 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 I, I can't at, say I'm entirely against at that. At this point, it <laughs> right, can't, be, right. can't be worse, right? right? It can't be so, that much worse. So I, I don't know. But, you know, for Volodymyr Zelensky, those tears, like to me, that is, those are the tears of a an actor that is, you know, clamoring for for spotlight. Yeah. For the spotlight. That's that's all it is to me. So and I think he's probably like, oh crap. Like I'm I definitely in believe that way part. over my I definitely head. be that part. Definitely so believe that, that part. If that dude is stressed, I mean he's in his early forties, right? Yeah. You just look from <laughs> February now. to now. <laughs> he's like, oh my god. But that's my point. That that goes more to my point. Regardless of him look, people take evaluations when they're looking at the world at times and they they think, okay, what are my capabilities in this situation versus what can I affect in the outside world? Sometimes they get that monstrous wrong. Especially <laughs> if you have people goading you along like, oh, Zelensky, we, we're backing you. You can be part of NATO. We're going to help you. Well, you have the West saying that, but yeah. then you have his own, the right sector. Yes. In his own parliament, probably with Don't guns pointed at him. Up. Like, Stay this course. Better, That's right. Here's the script. That's right. Here's the script. Read it, Memorize it. Memorize it, funny man. That's right. Memorize it. Tell us a joke. (laughs) Tell us a joke. Act that out. Win that Emmy. Weep for us, Zelensky. Weep. Weep for the world. Win that Emmy. (laughs) Right, right. Win those billions of dollars of U.S. contracts. Get it. Get it. That's called pressure. That's called pressure. So if those, How, however you want to cut so it, so yeah, that's if pressure. those are those might be the real tears, but it's certainly not the tears of, of otherwise of like, oh, I'm so patriotic. I don't buy that. Three a.m. between him and his God, he knows that what's true. Right. I, I don't buy the patriotism tears. Oh no, I don't buy yeah. the patriotism tears. No. But is he scared? Sless. Yes. Oh yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Oh yes. Yes. And you should be. You got a lot of people killed, bro. Yeah. You should be. That's on your hands, on your conscience. And because, funny man, no more, brother. Yeah, because look, regardless of how somebody wants to cut that and say, well, he was goaded, he was led down the garden path. Alexander McCarthy said, I was thinking it's a funny way of saying it. He's led down the garden path. He's so British when he says this stuff. Um, it's his responsibility. He has a right. philosophical, Buck ethical stops responsibility. With stops with him. You got that job. The people put you in that office. You told those people that you were going to do something radically different than what you ended up doing. And you dragged the country to a country, uh, to war. The fact is, whatever Ukraine limps out as, it is going to be poorer. It's going to be weaker. And it is going to be a shadow of what it was prior as a direct result yeah. for something that never had to take place. Never needed to happen. Nope. Let's get to headlines. In the news. The suspected gunman in July 4th parade shooting in Illinois was charged with seven counts of first-degree murder for allegedly carrying out the attack that left seven people dead. Lake County State Attorney Eric Reinhardt said during a press conference, quote, Today, the Lake County State's Attorney's Office has charged Robert Cremo III, <laughs> amazing, he has a third behind his name after doing this, um, with seven counts of first-degree murder, unquote, Reinhardt said on Tuesday. Authorities intend to charge on charging Cremo the third, with dozens more crimes in the future, Reinhardt has added. Cremo faces a life sentence without the possibility of parole if convicted on the charges against him. Should he be put to death? Manila. That's a dark question. I'll let you soak on that one. Let me go through the rest of the news. We'll come Should back to it. Die? Yeah. We'll Cremo? come back to it. Yeah. Okay. The third. There's a Cremo out there that's not, you know, a killer. 
Let's keep oh. going. A, Millen, um, a Mississippi judge on Tuesday rejected a lawsuit challenging the state's so-called, quote, trigger law, unquote, restricting abortions in response to the U.S. Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade decision. AP News reports. The state's lone abortion clinic, Jackson Women's Health Organization, filed the lawsuit in an attempt to block the trigger law restrictions, and continue providing services, according to the ABC News report. The law is expected to take effect on Thursday, according to the report. <laughs> Judge Deborah Halford presided over the hearing and ruled in favor of the state's trigger law. The report said the abortion clinic, which filed the lawsuit three days ago after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, will close if their legal challenge fails and restrictions are implemented, owner Diane Dervis reportedly said. That is the lone clinic in Mississippi, that is going to go up in smoke. Wow, let's keep going. The Biden administration filed a lawsuit against Arizona on Tuesday over a law requiring proof of citizenship to vote in Southwest State. While voting as a non-citizen is illegal under U.S. federal law, the Justice Department has argued that asking for proof of citizenship is, quote, unlawful and unnecessary, unquote. This is going to be another one we'd have to talk about. Arizona's law, signed by Republican Governor Doug Ducey in March, would require voters to show documentary proof of citizenship, such as a state driving license or an ID card before casting their ballot, and task officials with rejecting voter registration applications that don't include proof of citizenship. The law would apply retroactively to voters who are already registered. Basically, everybody. Everybody has a show of card, if that's what that means. The voter the government's lawsuit alleges that these restrictions violate the National Voter Registration Act and the Civil Rights Act. Oh, this is always a fight. <laughs> Do you know the one person who's been on the show who basically told us, well, I'm going to leave. And a huge fight. It was one of the first huge fights I've been on the show. A person left within like I think ten minutes of the show. He was a, what, a he was he was one of those Republicans who was like, we need to have more voting rights legislations, okay. more legislation. We need more restrictions, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I mean, Ed Martin says that stuff. Yeah, but, but this is like like a horrible version of Ed. Yeah, and it got bad very quickly. And he was like, if you say something else, I want to leave. I was like, dude, you can leave. <laughs> and he was like, all right, I'm gone. Well, that escalated Yeah, that quickly. escalated very quickly, very quickly. Let's keep going. In international news, while Turkish, Finnish, and Swedish leaders have signed protocols that ostensibly ends a dispute over support for Kurdish groups and individuals, Ankara has signaled it expects the northern European states to live up to their bargain or the deal is off. I mean... It's one thing to have a deal. Following through with the deal is kind of the point of the deal, right? Speaking to Turkey's NTV's television station on Monday, Turkish Foreign Minister Melvut Cavusoglu said are. Helsinki and Stockholm. I've been with you um, long enough. I'm, I'm picking up on you. Said um, Helsinki and Stockholm have to end their support for Kurdish groups and ex extradite wanted Kurds to Turkey as they agreed last week at the NATO summit in Madrid. Quote, they have to comply with this document. If they don't, we won't allow them to join NATO, Kavul Soglu said. On, Thursday, on Tuesday, Boris Johnson had shore up his cabinet after shock resignation of two of his most senior ministers, Sajid Javid and Rishi Sunak. The UK health secretary and the chancellor quit within 10 minutes of each other, claiming they could no longer support the prime minister amid fallout from the latest scandal rocking number 10. Downing Street, uh, Downing Street. To add more fuel to the fire, Robin Walker has resigned as school minister, saying he no longer has faith in the prime minister's leadership. The MP for Worcester, 
posted his resignation letter on social media this morning. Earlier, Will Quince, a junior education minister, has joined a wave of shock resignations for Boris Johnson's cabinet. How does a government maintain itself when all of these people resign all at once? Like, that is a shocking condemnation of the government itself, right? It's like it's damning. Your own people who back you basically said, I'm done. I'm done. And that's for Boris Johnson. They could have said they were done a long time ago. Done. Straw that broke the camel's back. The Philippines is looking to, quote, increase the scope, unquote, of its ties with China beyond the South China Sea dispute and is open to military exchanges with Beijing. President Ferdinand Bungbung, <laughs> Marcos Jr., has announced, quote, one of the ways I've consistently suggested is that we have our relationship not only on one dimension, the West Philippine Sea, unquote, Marcos said, speaking at a press briefing on Tuesday and referring to Philippines' official name for parts of the South China Sea that the country claims, quote, Let's add to that. Let's have cultural exchanges, educational exchanges, even military, if that will be useful, unquote, Marcos said. I want to applaud that. Thank you. Finally, there's a world leader that's dealing with the world in a way that is beyond just this issue of force and conflict. I appreciate that. Let's keep going. In economic and finance news, nearly three-fifths of the public in the United States believe the actions of the United States government and President Joe Biden's policies are hurting them, and only 5% say that they are primarily concerned about protecting abortion rights and new Mammoth University Polling Institute poll revealed on Tuesday. A majority of 57% say the actions of the federal government over the past six months have hurt their families when it comes to the most important concerns. Just 8% say Washington has helped them, a release on the poll said. This figure marks a sharp increase in the number of those blaming the U.S. government and the Biden administration for their economic woes, the release said. Previously, 34% to 47% said the government actions have hurt them. It added. That is a 10 to 20% jump. That is amazing. Funny news of the day. Actually, this, this isn't funny. This is aggravating. A San Francisco couple has received a hefty parking fine from the city despite parking in the same spot for 40 years. The spot in question turned out to be their own driveway, which the city of San Francisco deemed a violation of a decades-old parking code that bans motor vehicles of all kinds from being parked in a car pad or set back in front of a house and lets us in company by a garage or a cover. The homeowners, Judy and Ed Crane, were astonished to learn that the parking in their driveway was suddenly a city violation. Quote, I wrote them back saying I thought this was a mistake, unquote, Judy Crane said. Quote, to all of a sudden be told you can't use something that we could use for years, it's startling, inexplicable, Ed Crane added. The couple was fined $1,542 for the violation with an added $250 for every day that the ticket that they continued to park their vehicle at their home, near their house, that they've done so for 40 years. Astonishing. Um, this day in history, in 1912, King Gustav V officially opens the Fifth Summer Olympics in Stockholm. In 1964, Malawi gains its independence from Britain. In 1975, Comoros Island has become independent after 137 years of French rule. Wow. In 2006, Natala Pass, a trading post between India and China, opens for business. Those are your headlines. You guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas and Chan. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. 
Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM and 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like and share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202 521-1320. Your engagement helps make the show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. And we have been, I guess you can say, in the wake of all sorts of gun violence. It seems to be basically multiple shootings every day um, this year with these kind of mass shootings punctuated, those multiple shootings. The most recent one was a gentleman gets on a building, opens fire on the various people who are basically at a park at a um, parade or he whatever. He doesn't get gentlemen. Okay, it's a fair douchebag. A douchebag. A person. A douchebag. Gets on a stage, gets on a building, starts shooting down at the crowd, basically fishing water. You said he fired 70-something 70 shots. 70 rounds. 70 rounds. Ends up killing, what, seven? Seven. Injuring multiple other people. And there are all sorts of questions that need to come up with this. And I think the main key one is, why is this an epidemic in the United States? Like every week. Every week. I mean, it's like one thing after the next. And it seems as that doesn't necessarily seem to be something that is indicative of other countries. At all. Yeah. And so let's start there. We're joined with the one and only Reese Everson, um, a great new friend of the show. She's an attorney and woman's advocate. She's founder of The Blush Project, as well as accomplished author. Her books include Babe's Guide to Winning in the Workplace, The Babe's Guide to Generalization of um, Generational Wealth, Babe's Guide to Divine Feminine Grace. I know I keep saying it, so I love that one. Um, you can learn more about her and all of her accomplishments at mreeseeverson.com. Reese, welcome back to the show. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. I am saddened to hear this news once again and just disturbed, frankly, that we keep finding ourselves in this place and having the same conversation over and over. Well, yeah, because I, I think what it boils down to is even simple problems that we have in the country, let's say like healthcare, or people getting kicked out of their homes or people living on the streets. Those things are often um, fixed with issues of just infusion of cash, meaning it's something that we care about and we fix it. We, that is even off the table. So getting into something that's more complicated and it's more multidimensional, that probably has all sorts of facets or facets um, that kind of that blend together in order to create this kind of horrible outcome, that is clearly off the table. And that's not just clearly off the table. That's off the table in a way to even try to get to the nub of what's basically taking place. If you can't even get to the nub of what's taking place, how can you make corrections and changing it? Um, and yet we have gun legislation. I guess the first question, is the gun legislation going to do anything about mitigating any of this? And if not, what does that mean? Well, in the state of Illinois, where the shooting took place, um, there's a, a law in the books that says you can't sell to people with mental illness. And what that means is that if uh, it's lacking mental capacity, if someone in the last five years has been a patient at a mental institute, can't sell a gun to them. If they're a per person with intellectual disability, you can't sell a gun to them. And so technically, there's a slight loophole there um, when the, the person is, I, I'm with, I mean, with Manila on calling him not a gentleman, I would actually say a monster. Yeah. When this, this individual went to apply for a gun uh, permit, his father sponsored him. And on that application, it's disturbing that we know now in 2019, the police were called because he had a suicide threat. We know that the police were called because he threatened to kill his family members. Wow. 
How does that not come up in a search? If the police came out, a police report was done for every police. Every time the police go out, a police report is done. So how is it that a police report was done and yet that did not show up and flag his application for a gun permit? But just because it was a police report, though, that isn't I mean, he wasn't charged with anything. Right. No charges. Yeah. The issue is charges. Yeah, the, the family didn't end up charging, like didn't follow up with yeah. the police and didn't co- no longer cooperated because he had issued some threats like at some family dinner or something saying, Mm -hmm. I'm going to kill all of you. And then somebody called the cops. They show up. They take a report. But then the family decided not to to follow up and go through with it with fully pressing any charges. Yeah. That's a sufficient breakdown. If a person has that sort of contact with the police where they threaten to commit suicide, they threaten other people with bodily harm, even if the family doesn't want to press charges, that report should be something that when they're applying for a weapon, that's flagged. I know, but do they have access to that? I mean, like when a person, when they're doing a background check and they're looking, let's say, for mental illness, well, mental illness is not going to show up in that specific situation because no charges were pressed. He didn't necessarily get hospitalized, none of that stuff. And if it's just you coming out for something, is that indicative Are, of— Is it just not that thorough? Yeah. Like the background check? Like, for example, um, once upon a time I worked for Morgan Stanley. During the Facebook IPO. Weird time in my life. Um, <laughs> yes, I was there. So, but the background check that they do is... is Limited, basically. So, no, no, no. Oh, For Morgan thorough. Stanley? When, oh, my God, yeah. no. I mean, I had access to billions and billions of dollars. Like, no. I had to go uh, undergo a full FBI background check. I yeah. had to do a lie detector test. They did all the oh, fingerprints geez. and all of that stuff. Yeah, in order, in order to sit at a computer and, like, look at, like, analyze money. Right. And, and where markets are moving. But right? see, they don't go that far. But they don't go that check. far. When, right. So it's like, OK, this is it's where like, the sir, we need you to have American to values are placed <laughs> right. more on people sitting, you know, at, at, you know, in the bullpen is what it was called at the stock market. As opposed to a weapon. As opposed to somebody that can can buy an AR-15. Yeah. So I find that kind of, you know, interesting to to kind of compare the two. And the only issue is we have. Illinois state police being linked with local police. And to an extent, we know that that's possible for their databases to, you know, have some sort of connection, especially in the time that we live in right now where we've had 200, over 250 mass shootings. Isn't that the least we can do to protect our children is make sure that the databases are linked I mean, this is simply a technology concern. Your name, if you've been uh, threatened, to, if you've threatened suicide, or if you've threatened homicide, it should flag a gun application. How complicated is that? I know it costs a lot of money to do the type of background yeah. check that Morgan Stanley did oh, on of me, course. but yeah. I mean, pro- probably hundreds and hundreds of dollars, yeah. right? But that should be incumbent on the the person applying for firearms, the right? Firearm. Like if you if you really want this permit, the reason he had to have his dad co-sign was because he had just turned he's recently just turned twenty one. He was twenty years old, I believe, at the time. So I guess in Illinois, I don't know the laws. Oh, he had to but, get parental permission, right? So his yeah. dad had to be his co-signer. But that's the rub, though. If his dad was aware that they, his kid that, was a little yes, wonky, and he still got the gun anyway. And I, I also, that was like the shooter in what was it, Reese? I think you were in my office when it happened. Was it in Michigan where the the high school boy that was shooting 
Um, I think you were at my office that day. Is that the one where they press charges on the family? On the parents, on yeah, because the, yeah. the parents bought the kid the gun, and the kid was, like, doodling um, pictures of guns and shooting people, and yeah. he was, like, a 16, 17-year-old It's like there were clear boy. concerns with him Right, and the it, parents yeah. bought him that gun. And, mm. I, mean, I mean, at some point, for these guys, like, the parents were involved. Yeah. Like, what's the culpability of parents there, Reese? And, and that's why they've lawyered up. Um, they actually have retained the same lawyer that represented R. Kelly. Oh, Ooh. <laughs> he just got 30 years. Yeah. And so let's hope that this is um, some sign of foretelling that <laughs> because, frankly, you had to have known. You knew the mental state of the person you were dealing with. You knew he had issues. He had signs of, if nothing else, uh, of four guns or an assault rifle or something, any type of uh, AR-15 AR was the last thing he needed. And so to put him in a position to have access to this, absolutely, the parents should um, be, you know, held responsible for their actions. But you don't believe that the parents in any way thought that this would take place? Meaning, it's one thing for something to have happened a while ago. Okay, fair enough. And I, I got to be honest, I'm even a little sketchy with... Everything that happens with a person being all of a sudden linked where private business can get their hands on the information or for that matter where – meaning, I don't know. Well, no, I, mean, I, would, I wouldn't say the parents thought, number one, like most parents don't ever think that their kid is capable, go out and get on a capable of becoming a mass killer. Exactly. But – and I certainly don't think, and I hope not, that the parents support mass killing. Right. Like, I, I'm assuming that both of those are just right. off, off the thing. Right. But, so I guess culpability of parents here is a little fuzzier to me on this. I mean, I get that it's a poor choice, but is it a poor choice that you should be prosecuted for? I mean, doesn't the person have the responsibility and culpability here? I mean, and look, I'm, I'm not saying this is an argument one way or the other. I guess it's more of a question. The question becomes negligent. The, the question is, should parents, did they know or should they have known that he was a threat? that his um, having a weapon would put, basically put himself or other people in harm's way. I know, but how would the parents have known that? I mean, like, we're assuming for the moment that there are other signs and signals that basically the parents had outside of that one event where he basically threatened to kill people. We need the, the case that's going to probably be the, um, alleged. That'll come out is whether they had other indications um, and what they knew. Okay, that's fair. I guess I don't jump to the conclusion that the parents were somehow culpable if they knew that he was going to do that. Because I don't think they would have gotten him the gun if you. Because look, there's certain things you. She's saying something. Oh, go ahead, Reese. I'm sorry. The situation in Michigan that um, Manila discussed in Oakland County, Michigan, that happened um, last year. Yeah. The 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 boy was probably about I don't know, thirteen or fourteen, and he had told his parents he couldn't stop hearing the voices. He had been sent home repeatedly for making threats, and his teacher found the doodling to the extent that um, multiple students stayed home the day of shooting because he had already made the threat publicly in the school, and other kids knew that they should stay home. You get what I'm saying? So it depends on how much information comes to light about this, 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 this guy's actions and what his parents should have known. I believe there's a news story coming forward saying something to the extent that he walked into a synagogue earlier this year and and was 
kind of being menacing and he was told to leave. Um, this is a, what we have to, what, you know, what, what will come out is what did they know? No, that's I, I mean, as you know, as a, as a parent, I would say that I don't know about the legal culpability. That's, you know, that's, that's Reese's world. Yeah. Um, but I can add my parental condemnation as a parent. It's just you got to be a responsible, a responsible parent. Yeah. You know, if your kid is a jerk, don't if your kid is a bully, for example, don't encourage your kid. Correct. Don't Agreed don't say that. that's OK for him to behave and be bully, you know, for him to bully other kids for whatever reason or be judgmental or whatever. Just be a responsible parent. Don't be a douche parent, yeah. you know. So in this case, he's a young adult. He's 20 years old. And dad goes and co-signs for his permit. I mean, I, I don't know what the laws are in Illinois um, or the federal law behind this or what culpability the parents might have legally. But yeah. I know as a as a parent myself, I'd be like, mortified. Like when my son does like mean stuff at the at the playground and kids, I mean he's a toddler, right? When when he goes and like pushes a kid or something or smacks <laughs> someone or steals a ball, you know, I condemn him for it and I tell him, don't do that. Right. Like that's just responsible parenting. Keep an eye on your kid and, and don't raise a serial killer. Absolutely. Don't raise a serial killer. Yeah. Reese, from your standpoint, if you had to and I know you don't know this answer as a flat fact, because it's not that it's always just kind of a, a thing of um point of view. But why would you think that this is something that seems to be an epidemic in the U.S., but it doesn't necessarily seem to be something that's an epidemic elsewhere. And it's like, you can't even necessarily lean on the guns because there are other countries, like Canada, for example. Canada's hunting culture. Full of, full of guns. Full of guns. So why us and not them? You're asking, why has America become a horror movie? Yes. At the very least, from the standpoint of gun balance, yeah. I mean, the number of people who are being killed this year, not to mention the number of mass shootings, are astonishing. Utterly astonishing. Over 250 in the U.S. And the crazy, you know, crazy thing is that we can't, I mean, do we look at the culture and we, you know, go back to the conversation about video games? Do we look at, you know, violence being art intimidate, or in imitating life? Um, and, and that we do have a violent culture and that, you know, the news and, I'm sorry, and, 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 and entertainment tends to weigh you know heavily in sex and violence that's one thing but at the same time um even with all of that being the case there's got to be some type of we've got to learn from each incident and legally this is something that should have been prevented due to the last shooting if you get my point yeah. last shooting involved a, a, a young boy who was mentally plagued with issues. So there was maybe he had not been committed and he had not been um, deemed intellectually disabled. He still had enough issues and incidents. And then the parents went out and bought him a gun. He had enough issues and incidents where it should have raised the red flag. This kid does not have any business being around a gun. And so we have these incidents, and yet America still doesn't fix the loopholes. Why wouldn't you close up the loophole then? And so it's as if it's like, how many incidents do we need before we realize that our laws are not sufficient? Yeah, Reese, on, on that note, you said, you know, 
like a, a trigger word for me, and not in a bad way, but like committed, right? You said, you know, have the have these people committed. I mean, when Jamal brought up, you know, Canada being um, a gun culture, I mean, so is the U.S., but we have mm-hmm. two very different gun cultures. They very are different. very much a hunting society. They have guns all over the place, very common, big guns, but literally the kind that bring down a moose, right? Like big, big guns, but they don't have the shooting sprees that we have. It's so rare that they have um, any kind of gun violence as compared to the U.S. And, and we're basically like twin, almost twin cultures, right? Same language, shared borders, all in North America. Um, very, very similar. The, you know, we share actors, right? Like Ryan Reynolds, Jim Carrey. We share all of those. You know, it's it's a very similar culture, but yet when it comes to guns, totally, totally different. It's like they, I don't know if they have a different respect for life up in the Great White North yeah. or or I don't know what it is, but maybe it's because they grew up with guns that they have a different respect for guns and know that, you know, the, the, the carnage it, it creates. I don't know. But but I will say that their their mental health um, and their their overall their health right is is government controlled. That's so right. there is access to mental health. There Universal is, healthcare. There is access to regular you know general practitioner doctors. There is access to help and health. There is mental health care for them up there. And I know their population is much much lower. People are going to make all kinds of different distinctions between the two. Regardless, they have health care and mental health care. That, are, that come with being a Canadian citizen. We don't have that. Do you think that is part of the problem is that when you, you know, potentially are a lunatic serial killer or mass shooter, you can be committed or there are places for you to go in Canada. We don't have that here in the U.S. We've shut down literally like 80% of all government-run mental institutions in the U.S. over the last 40 years. So there's really no resources for people here in the U.S. to go to. Well, Manila, I'm going to speak to that from a personal angle. Um, I have a family member with autism. And due to a great deal of teasing um, in high school, the, uh, the school said this student cannot come back until they've been seen by a mental health professional because we're afraid that, you know, this there's a mental breakdown because of just, you know, just being how they're responding to the teasing. It's not positive. And it's possible that they're thinking about hurting themselves. And so the parent had to keep that child home and go take the child to see a professional, um, you know, a child psychologist or someone who could, you know, at least analyze and, and give an opinion, a professional medical opinion. Even that would be better than where we are right now. We don't have that. Yes, we may not have the federally funded, but even requiring kids to and parents to take their child to see a professional would be better than nothing. This should have this, these cases with these two guys should have been referred to um, child protective services. You know, hey, you've got a person here who it might be a threat. And he needs to have a, a professional evaluation. At least have that step. We're not even doing that. So, yes, we do need to be doing better in terms of our health care, uh, making sure that our children are not threats, especially 
knowing that we have a culture that seems to promote this type of behavior. Well, you know, when, when people are going to get mad at me for bringing up the race thing, but we will, we, we have, I mean, it's, it's evidenced, right? Like I'm not, I'm not just saying this when a, a disabled or, you know, intellectually disabled student has a meltdown, Mm -hmm. the officials at school overreact when you have a black kid or a minority kid that shows any sign of hostilities or whatever, you get the long arm of the law there faster than you can snap your finger. When you have these mass shooters that all happen to be white kids, well, not all, but the majority of them happen to be white kids. Like in this case, Cremo is is a, a, a white kid from the suburbs. Yeah. And, and, Good neighborhood. And, yeah, from what this I understand. This wasn't even like, you know, Chirac. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, it's not Chirac. From what I understand, Highland Park is like a very well-to-do area yeah. of the Chicago suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have white kids who show that there is some kind of hostility in their nature, in their being, in their present state of mind, that seems to fly under the radar. But we yeah. over-respond to the young kids who have that are minorities or or are known to the school system to have like an intellectual delay or whatever, we over respond to them. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if we just look at the case of the 25 year old that was shot 60 plus times while he was leaving a traffic stop because he committed a he had allegedly committed a traffic violation. He was African American. And he was shot over 60 times by the police. But yet, the same, you know, a 22-year-old, just with a three-year age difference, you know, murdered seven people. Took him into custody. He was taken into custody without incident. And so as we do, we absolutely know there's a disparity of how people are handled based on race in this country. And so when the police came out to the home of, you know, uh, in 2019 in Highland Park, and he was, you know, threatening to kill everyone. And what what made them decide not to uh, write this up in a way that would give him a history or a paper trail? Right, or take him in. Because they were reporting that they came out of to the house for guns. I mean, I'm sorry, for knives or something. Basically, that the police remove knives. And people were like, well, wait a minute, dude, if you guys were— had to come out to the house in order to remove knives, why did you give him a gun? Meaning, why did you give him a gun permit? Like, if you already had issues with the person. Right, you know your kid is already threatening the family at Thanksgiving with, like, with the turkey carving knife? No, I'm talking about the cops. I mean, this article was going into saying that the cops had been to the house dealing with issues of knives. Right, and And, the family, I'm saying, he's at Thanksgiving dinner picking up the turkey knife and being like, I'm going to kill everybody at this table. And then the next year at Christmas, they're like, Merry Christmas, son. Here's your AR-15. Well, their question to the cops were, why did you give him the gun? Meaning, why did you approve the certificate for the gun? Because the cop at the end of the day had to prove it. And the cops were like— His dad co-signed. Well, I read read that the the cop—one of the—I don't know who he was at the police department. I can't remember. But the police department said that because— of the laws, and they're operating based on the letter of the law, yeah. is that that this the younger Cremo, I don't know the dad's name, but younger Cremo um, had no, you know, outstanding Cremo no warrants, no yeah. blah, 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 no no other real red flags. The, the police report is just a report, so it doesn't show up, as Reese explained. So in, they basically lean on his the dad's red flags. So dad's, dad's credit, yeah. dad being an upstanding, you know, 
person in his community. Lended itself to his kid. Right. Wow. So it was like, okay, I'm going to co-sign for this permit. Wow. So based on the letter of the law that exists in their area of Illinois, the, the cops did their part. Wow. They, they couldn't stop it. They couldn't prevent it. Reese, this is a morbid issue, and I want to move slightly um, over to something that's coming up. This is in the Washington Post. As some Democrats grow impatient with Biden, alternative voices emerge. And it says more Democrats are frustrated with Biden's caution and what they consider a moment of crisis. And figures like Newsom and Pritzker are showcasing a sharper approach. How are they showcasing a sharper approach? Um, one is the governor. Um, and Pritzker, I think he's a governor also. What's your take on this, Reese, in regards to 2024 and potential uh, voices outside of Biden? And for that matter, to go further, even if you did get somebody to write or change ship, what would it mean? I mean, would they really be that much of a, let's say, a diversion or deviation from the policies that Biden, are taken, or that Biden has taken, especially on the issue of Ukraine? And the reason why I point out Ukraine is because that is going to have effects here in the States, meaning if they don't change policy on that, then nothing necessarily changes here from issues of inflation. And so it's like, even if somebody else get new comes in, what are they expected to do that is basically different than what Biden is doing now? I think we could have a, a vastly different priority um, that's frankly just American-centric. Americans are tired of hearing about how many billions of dollars are being sent to Ukraine. Well, a lot of Americans, especially seeing, you know, how difficult things are for us here, uh, for many Americans here, with the price of gas, the price of the, the inflation, uh, making it difficult for people to be able to pay for gas, to be able to pay for food, um, grocery stores not having a lot of food. People are bewildered, from my understanding, that we are doing so much for you know, foreign countries when yes. we're doing so little for the people at home and the issues that we're facing at home. So I actually think that Biden is wide open for criticism as well as um, for someone to um, show up and show themselves to be better uh, qualified or even just better um, able to address the issues of the day. There's definitely need for home-based policies. What does that mean? America first. And take care of America first. And, and you know, the whole build back better, that sounds good. But when you're putting resources in the billions and uh, overseas and people aren't seeing relief here at home, then it doesn't translate. No, it doesn't translate. I mean, there's a policy that they're coming out with today, apparently, where Chuck Schumer is going to introduce to allow Medicare to cover prescription drugs. So there's going to be that, but it's it's like anything else, right? It's like too little, too late. And then when it finally comes out, it's so um, minor in comparison to everything else that it ultimately ends up not mattering. I mean, we were reading polls this morning where the American public was basically very clear that it was the Biden administration that was basically making them poorer and making them making their lives worse off. And it's like, how does a president get reelected in a context where 57 percent think to themselves, Biden administration is responsible for so-and-so and so-and-so. I agree with you on this. The American first policy thing is interesting. I, that's language that Donald Trump basically used. But I agree with you that that language can be used by pretty much anybody to make that argument. And the catch is Joe Biden is wide open just as every bit as much as European leaders are wide open for that very specific attack. And I – look, if Trump runs, I swear that's going to be it. What do you think about this? Do you think that Trump would ever get up on stage and basically make the point of saying, you gave $50 billion to oh, Ukraine? he already has. Yeah. 
He already has. Trump already has. If he gets on a debate stage and does that, oh my God, that is going to be brutal. It's almost as if Joe Biden is handing over the election to Donald Trump if he is able to run. And that's disturbing. It's like he's setting up like... Failure. This isn't isn't even like an underhand softball game. (laughs) This is straight up T-ball. Joe Biden is putting the ball on a little stand and asking Trump to come up here (laughs) and just knock it out of the park. My point, why would why would the sitting Democratic president do that? It's just I and, and we had this conversation before about, you know, what he's doing as far as, you know, Roe versus Wade and the the ways in which he's not protecting, you know, women's rights and, and, and various various issues. And it's it's like, why? Why is he he he, he can't see the play. You know, we're as far as the home team goes, his 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 behaviors and his decisions don't really lend to being able to trust him and understanding where he's going and why he's doing the things that he's doing. And so, yes, to that extent, it does look like he's teeing up the ball and that we we very much may if if Donald Trump's able to run, he's been put in a very good position by Joe Biden to do so. Yeah, it's disturbing any way you look at it. In one sense, you had a president that didn't want to leave office, yeah. which is a moral hazard like nobody's business. By the same time, you have another one that is utterly deranged. That, and it's tra- that doesn't know how to be in office. Yeah, doesn't know how to be in office. <laughs> one doesn't want to leave. The other one doesn't know how to um, be in office. Um, Reese, thank you for this. We always appreciate um, you joining us. And the voice that you guys will listen to is Reese Everson. She's an attorney and women's advocate. She's founder of the Blush Project, as well as... Yeah, The Blush Project, as well as accomplished author. Her books include Babe's Guide to Winning in the Workplace, Babe's Guide to Generational Wealth, and Babe's Guide to Divine Feminine Grace. You can learn more about Reese and her accomplishments at mreeseeverson.com. You guys are listening to Faultlines. Thomas, Chan, we're coming back. We're going to take your calls. The number is 202-521-1320. Back in a moment. Faultlines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And we are taking your calls. The number is 202-521-1320. And we have Tarif from New Orleans. What's going on, Tarif? Doing all right this morning? Thank y'all for taking my call. First, I'd like to say uh, free jewel inside. Excuse me. Um, Yeah, I I got three quick comments. Go for it. First comment. First comment, a university in China was successful in um, um, having a, um, creating a Mark V unmanned spacecraft, hypersonic missile spacecraft type of jet, and it's, it's experimental. So what that tells you is that even a university is ahead of NATO and United States military industrial complex mm. over there in China. On those hypersonic planes and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the university is ahead of the United States. The second comment, NATO came out. I have a one, another comment after this. NATO, I mean, excuse me, um, uh, Sweden is refusing to, to give 70 people to Turkey. Yes, I saw That's so funny to me, right? Because, like, when this first came out, the thought was like, okay, some of these people are part of their government. And are you really going to, like, rip people? Meaning, you're going to those countries to seek asylum. Are you really going to give them up like that? 
I, I just, look, we, we'll see. Uh, like, you know, there was skepticism on whether or not um, Sweden and Finland was ever going to cede to NATO because we didn't believe they were going to do that. But please finish your comment. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, so um, is um, so I read something that um, Turkey might veto the um, Sweden, Sweden's um, and Finland's joining NATO. They might veto it. My last comment is dealing with my uh, excuse me, dealing with Julian Assange. Lately, he's been getting a lot of press. BBC been interfering his lawyers. You had recently a day or two ago, the Attorney General of Australia came out and said something about his case mm-hmm. going on for too long. And you having people coming out sort of but surely. And Patel, have, even though she signed the paperwork, he still haven't left Britain. So that means something's going on underneath. And um, hopefully, with all this pressure going on with your boy Johnson, government collapsing, Biden government, his administration collapsing, hopefully, LB, Benesi, whatever, I keep on forgetting how to pronounce his name, hopefully, he get the courage. And actually, June decides to come back to Australia because it's getting to the point. I mean, look, it's the best time is to bring June signs home because, you know, we we need the freedom of speech. And also, you know, he can get back to work and hopefully start publishing more stuff, you know, because we're getting, we're getting closer and closer to the age of wall. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Tarif, from your mouth to God's ears, even though I am somewhat skeptic. Look, I guess the issue is, if the British government collapses, which very well could. I mean, at the point where you have so many ministers basically coming out saying, we're done. We're not going to do it. We're embarrassed by this government. And I mean, someone basically saying I, this is the Tory party's uncharacteristic or, you know, uh, um, it's not what I remember it being, that type of stuff. Well, those are pretty damning comments, especially from people who used to be very close to Boris Johnson. And so his government could collapse. Fair enough. But is there anybody that's really going to take power that is going to do anything different than what the U.S. wants on this. Meaning, is there going to be anyone that takes power that is not in the minds of a vassal state? It's one thing if you had somebody like Jeremy Corbyn. Corbyn would be probably be someone antagonistic to it and probably would not have prosecuted Assange in this way. That's not where we are, though. Starmer is the other one from the standpoint of the labor. And there's just going to be another Tory that takes over when those guys come together and choose the next Tory leader. And so even though Johnson is clownish, cartoonish, um, all that stuff. Fair enough. The person who takes in after him is still probably not going to deviate from the plan of the government, considering that the government is being run, meaning that particular plan by the U.S. It's U.S. interests that wants Assange. So I don't know, Tariq. We'll see. I mean, this is one of those things we just wait and see. I do agree that there were people who started speaking up about it far more than what they were doing before. And even AMLO. You didn't mention this, Tariq. I'm going to hold that against you. AMLO comes out and basically makes the point about Julian Assange himself. So there's that. But we'll see. Like I said, from your mouth, God's ears. And we'll see how it goes. Um, But Tarif, New Orleans, thank you, my man. Always appreciate that. Um, There is a story that is bubbling up. And and we're going to have John Kiriakou to come and talk about it. And it's basically new documents that's talking about secret wars. Now, The Intercept, every so often, Intercept comes out with really, really good stories, especially stories that are undercover, let's say Freedom of Information Act stuff. But basically, the U.S. has carried out, has reportedly used a secret authority called 127E to launch at least two dozen proxy wars since 2017, according to the article published on Friday by The Intercept. It said the outlet claims have obtained never-before-seen documents and have spoken to top officials with intimate knowledge of these programs. Now, on some level, that's a no-duh. Oh, yeah, on some level, that's a no-duh. Oh, Brave. Let's go to, let's go to Brave. Brave, ATL. What's going on, man? 
Hey, good morning, guys. Um, concerning your, your call with uh, your, your call with Reese a while ago concerning the, uh, the mass shootings by society, yeah. no, I've said it before, but and, and so I don't want to like a broken record. I think we've all kind of said it before, but I, I think um, I don't know that America um, has the ability to address it properly, right? I, I don't know. If, I, I would assume we're— Look, I'd go further. I don't think I can address it at all. Exactly, exactly. And I, I, but I think, it's, um, I think it's due to the predatory nature of— of our society, like the, the thing that that seems to come when, when we're talking about um, when we are um, le- leveling our country against uh, uh, other countries that 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 have that do not have this problem, even though they have weapons. I think that the, the one shining thing that seems to um, always come through that other countries have that we don't have, which you guys touched on, is the the social structure, the social safety net. Um, and I, I lived in Germany for a number of years. Uh, on Sunday, those, those are family days. Like here, uh, everything is about how much can you, how much profit can you? Um, Wait, uh, brave. Right, there's there, a clicking. Yeah, there's a serious click that's happening. I'm not sure what that is, but um, I, I said again. I'll say that, I'll say that um, in, in, in most other countries that have a social safety net, um, most other countries that are family oriented, yes, for countries that aren't overrun with. Um, profit motives over um, the society, the, the the success of the society. You don't see those. You don't see those. Yes. Whereas here, good point. Profit over people. Yeah, yeah. Destructive. Yeah, brave. We're gonna have to let you go. That that click is pretty intense, and we're not necessarily sure where it's coming from. Uh, but look, I agree that, with you. That's a great point. Thousand percent agree with you. In in the situation, it's it's your value, right? Like, right. do you value your population? Do you value your citizenry? And what do you do in order to show that you value those things, whether it's education, healthcare, et cetera, yeah. or for the matter of living our, on the street? Our government shows us that they do not value us. Yes. They put money elsewhere. They line the pockets of certain industries. Mm-hmm. They seem to care about the elites only. Yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't matter what, what party it is. It's the same coin. Two yeah. sides of the same coin. Two wings of the same bird. Um, but... Yeah, Brave brings up an excellent point. And I think people, you know, that soaks in. Like, we always joke about how the Canadians are so much nice. They're like nicer versions of Americans. (laughs) Right. And, I mean, it's so true. Like, usually, I mean, I haven't been up there in the last three, four, four years, five years maybe Mm -hmm. uh, in Canada. But even even still, even five years ago, um, Canadians, as much as, like, American culture has kind of seeped up north, too— um, they're still just a, a nicer, happier, well-adjusted people. Yeah, and their cities are are even even downtown Toronto so much cleaner than downtown L.A., see, than I New York to, City, than D.C. I have to believe that stuff soaks into the way that we view either ourselves and other people associated with the healthcare thing. I think that bumps that's into a big it. thing. That's a huge thing. Um, the mental health. Do you issue. know how much of of a relief that is to the individual person when they don't have to worry about? That they're, you know, if they break their arm, yep. that they're going to be in debt up to their ears. If they get cancer, catastrophic burden, if they get old and need a nursing home or something like that. It's like, that stuff is a burden, man. That stuff is like, it's a pressure cooker constantly. And you think, take that education, just trying to get a degree. You take that to housing, across the board, that stuff becomes that much more of a pressure cooker in the way that people are regarding it. I mean, I will say, I'll, I'll criticize Justin Trudeau for his kind of leadership because yeah. he's, he's definitely 
conniving. Mm-hmm. He puts, I mean, he has that pretty boy persona, you know, shining smile. I mean, he's like- He's an Obama clone. He's like a white, exactly. He's yeah. the white Obama. He's got the big pearly white yeah. and the, the pretty face. And All the, of them look like, even the, Newsom looks that way. Right. It's, it's like these kind of, a Macron, same thing. It's pretty, almost like they got these boy. people out of a- out of A like catalog a, for, yeah, for politicians. Yeah, it's very weird stuff. Like, it's so plastic. They're like the, the J.C. Penny catalog. Yeah, right. right. Like, of politicians. It's like, you're like, okay, this guy. Like, oh, this guy, let's, I like let's this one. Let's take a big editor. Yeah. There's okay, a black version. Let's sing them around. Put this one in Canada. Yeah. We like this one. All right. But like his Trudeau's um, policies have been pretty, pretty ugly. Like there's some bad stuff about pipelines. And yeah. I mean, he's and he does it with a beautiful smile. Yeah. And the world's like, oh, Justin Trudeau, he's so dreamy. And <laughs> but at least he hasn't completely destroyed the infrastructure that was, you know, set forth before him. Right. So they they still have, you know, their at least they have their health care. Yeah. At least there's that. Yeah. I mean, what does it mean when your country allows you to get, I mean, even with the COVID stuff, I mean, those bills, they paid for the what, the vaccinations. Think of the other, think of the number of people that got sick from COVID in this country. I mean, a million died, but think of the number who were ill, who didn't necessarily die, might have been hospitalized. All of those things are bills that those people are going to have to pay. It's like that stuff is just lingering, man. But the Canadians don't have that problem. No, they do not. Brits don't have a problem. Europe you, doesn't I have was, a problem. I was, as a, an American tourist, very ill, very ill in Italy, in Rome. Yeah. Not a penny charged to me. I'll tell you this. Anywhere as an American that I have to travel, where I have to get treatments from, I have to pay out of pocket. Yeah. If I was living in Europe or the UK, no money would have to right. go out. In fact, the government will cover it. Yeah. You're safer traveling overseas than in the U.S. Yes. How weird is that? How weird is that? You guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas, Chan, Back in a moment for the 9 o'clock hour, we're going to have John Kiriakou coming after headlines. He is always a great guest. You're not going to want to miss it. Talking about these secret wars that are basically started going into Fault Lines. Thomas Chan, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. (laughs) That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. Right on, right on. I'm excited about this segment. I'm always excited about John coming on. Always. Yeah. I, I like when we do these occasional, like, it's not news-based, like, not necessarily, yeah. but, you know, these kind of off-the-beaten-path stories. Well, those are the 9 o'clock hours. To me, it's like domestic, international, then 9 o'clock is a grab bag. It could be whatever is out there. It could be UFOs. It could be secret wars. It could be whatever. See, I think that's cool. Yeah. I think especially because mainstream media would certainly never touch these random topics. Oh, they would never touch the story coming up. <laughs> they would never touch the story. Secret wars? Oh, what do you mean we have secret wars? We've been having all of these fights and nobody have been knowing about it. We've been praying proxy armies to do X or Y? Oh, they would no, never touch that. No, because because the mainstream media is an extension of the yes. U.S. government. Yes. Either one side of that coin or the other. Yes. Right? So they'll never touch these topics. Perfect example. Jake helps. Tapper. Tulsi Gabbard uh. gets on stage 
and she's in an interview with Jake Tapper. And Jake Tapper sandbags her with this idea of, well, here's another person who's in the military, and that person completely disagrees with you, Tulsi Gabbard. She says he calls you a Putin puppet. I mean, what do you have to say about that? Tulsi Gabbard brought up about the secret wars in Syria and the number of people who were being killed and that we were basically trying to overthrow Assad. Jake Tapper looks like he was about to S a brick. He was like, blah, 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 the government said they're not doing that. And it's like, come on, Jake. Come on, Jake. You know. You He's know. just towing the government line. You know, Jake. Everything she said there was right, Jake. You know. And I'm calling him Jake because, I don't know, I don't know, any other reasons. Tapper, Tapper. I like, Tapper, Tapper might be better. Tapper. Tapper knows better. Tapper knows better. And yeah, but Tapper is not going to say. Tapper is going to tow the government line in that, despite the fact that, the, and then when Donald Trump comes out and basically says the same thing, which is a president attacking the previous president for trying to overthrow a government and lying about the fact that he was trying to overthrow a government, that's astonishing stuff. Media will never touch that. That should have been a major story when Trump said that. The president is implicating the previous president in getting a half a million people killed in a regime change war? Oh my God! What other president do you know that has ever implicated another president in doing something like that? That's astonishing. A, it's probably illegal. But B, they didn't care. They got no news. Yeah, well, the, the media sucks. Like, it just, like, you know, when I was in college, like, starting in the late 90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. the media was already pretty messed up. Yeah. And and I and I knew that, and I still, you know, maybe I was like young and hopeful, right? That I was like, I'm no, gonna but, change it, but I'm gonna go in there and, and be that, you know, that's right, that a, one that sticks to my guns. I'm and, be the integrity, and st- right, right? I'm gonna stick to my principles, and and yeah, I've still done that, um, but I also don't have those million dollar contracts right. like Jake Tapper. Yeah, and it's so frustrating to see when you see these folks on CNN with these you know, seven, eight-figure contracts, like Chris Cuomo. Like, what yeah. What are his bona fides? Well, he used to. That anyway. his, well, yeah, what were his bona fides? Right. That his dad was governor, and then his brother became governor? Like, I mean, why? Yeah. Well, he was pretty, Yeah. I guess. He was he? I, I mean, I guess. He didn't do it for me. He didn't do it for you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, like like in the Justin Trudeau vein, right? Like, he's he's pretty and shiny and look good on TV. I was going pretty for pay. Pretty for, it's pretty for pay. Right. <laughs> but he'll say whatever, you know, whatever the government line says, because at the end of the day, the commercials come from either big pharma or weapons contractors. Yeah. At the, I mean, that's that's really the two main advertisers, Both right? They're making killing. So, you know, they just they just do that. And have you heard that CNN's trying to make like reforms with their new Are they? Their new boss, uh, I forget his name. Um, but their new boss uh-huh. that took over after Jeff, Jeff Zucker stepped down after his his affair with the other lady. I'm not saying he's a perv because that— No, no, no it was yeah, mutual. Yeah. It was mutual. They were yeah. grown adults. You know, that's— Their positions of power were roughly the same. Yeah, right, it, you know, right. Have at it. She was high-ranking. He's the the head of CNN. Yeah. Uh, okay, whatever. That's y'all— That's y'all's business. That's totally your business. That, right. Yeah, I'm not— He's not a perv in any way. I'm not saying that. Um, but— And she got fired, too, if I'm not but, mistaken. Oh, yeah, they let— her go or after him, yeah. Because initially it was like, whoa, whoa, well, this is neutral. Well, yeah, either, it was him first. It was him first. Yeah, and the, or I thought it was her first. Uh-huh. Either way, it was him first. Either way, they're both gone, right? I'm sure with golden parachutes. And now the new person running CNN says that he's going to clean house. Yeah, I don't know what that means. He says that he's going to clean house of all these partisans on TV. Interesting. Well, if that's the case, you're going to have to fire everybody. Yeah, all, the, all of them CNN. are going to lose like, their jobs. literally clean house entirely. Like, huh. put a Roomba in there and set them all out. So he's just looking for, like, hard news. Just like, supposedly, okay. Supposedly. Yeah. Supposedly. That this will be, like, the 80s 
glory days of CNN. Right. I don't know if that's true. We'll see. Yeah. Um, Don Lemon losing his job. Right. I, I don't know. Interesting. Because that, I mean, that guy, dude, that guy under Jeff Zucker, right? I, I get that it's a New Year's celebration, but the dude has been S-face drunk. Yes. On primetime television. So how many times, right? Oh, you know, Lemon. Lemon. See, I've never seen him on, see, I don't watch CNN like that. So I don't. He got drunk at the New Year's celebration, he right? He was S-face. He was that bad off. Like, belligerent, acting, like, acting a fool, kind of. On TV. On live television, where he's, like, hugging up on Anderson Cooper, like, like slobbering, trying to kiss him. And Anderson's like, oh, my God. Like, bro. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. This is just like, oh, my God, get the camera off of me. Go to a band or something. Like, get, like, S-face. Drunk. And if he couldn't get fired then under Jeff Zucker for being drunk on stage, it was it was like, what kind of environment are you promoting here at your office? I I mean, you're still an office, you know, like it's still a a white collar professional job. You think Lemon was less than after um, what's his name? Cooper. Was he what? Lusting after Cooper. It was like this was his moment. Like it just came out when he was wasted and he was trying to make that play. I don't I don't know if it's a lust thing, but he's just one of these like dumb a, a dumb sloppy drunk. Yeah. And he was sloppy drunk on, on TV. TV. That is not good. That's not a good look, bro. Like I get like you have toasts or whatever for New Year's and, and that's fine. That's perfectly perfectly acceptable for the, the anchors to be toasting. Of course. That's fine. But Don Lemon staggers on stage like ah, ah. You, at he was least that bad at off. At least the last two that I've seen. That bad off. Where it's like an embarrassment. It was unwatchable and Jeff Zucker allowed it. Jeff Zucker did not reprimand him. Jeff Zucker did not. I mean, that comes from the top down, right? So the new guy. um, And maybe they thought it was, oh, it's New Year's. It's fun. But that He's just having fun. Now, I feel you. Look, I agree with you. Sloppy drunk. I totally agree with you. But maybe they just like, all right, let's let let Don be Don. Sloppy, slurring, (laughs) drool coming down his face. Eyes are bloodshot where I'm like, I'm embarrassed for Don Lemon. Yeah. And it's like. Oh my God! I get that it's New Year's. Yeah, but dude, it's nine p.m. Oh, you got three hours to go, brother. Like, wow. you gonna make this show? But that just goes to show the kind of leadership that was coming under Jeff Zucker. So yeah. the new guy promises reforms and that CNN's gonna be back to the glory days mm-hmm. of the '80s. You know, under Ted Turner Ted when he founded Martins. it. Yeah, right. And it's going to be nonpartisan and this and that. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't. I don't know if he can return news to the glory days because there's a there's a a yearning I think from the American people knowing like, like how poorly the American mainstream media is polling. Yes. Nobody trusts the American mainstream media. Nobody right likes here. them. And so supposedly CNN wants to fill that gap now, that void that they helped create. Yes. They helped create it. And this is right here. Um, this is a list of institutions in American society. How much confidence do you have in these institutions? <laughs> Newspaper, 20%. No, I'm sorry, 21%. Um, that was Dismal. in 2021. In 2022, 16%. It got worse. Television news, 16%. Oof. What do you think it is today? You want me to guess? Yeah. Okay, 2022. One, you said? That was, was 2021. 16? 60%. 2021. One, television news. And so today, I'm going to go with 8%, half. 11%. Oof. Dismal. That is massively dismal. I mean, you only have 11 points to go. I mean, that's not, <laughs> it's like, that's all you have is 10 to points be left. At zero. I'm just making cringe face because yeah. it's just like, ugh, this I, is my chosen profession. You had one job. 
one job. Your job yes. is trust. Right. That's your job. And that's their tagline. Yes. Right. The, the most, most trusted, trusted name, name in the news. news. Yeah. With James Earl Jones's voice. And or, you, I mean, it could be any worse than a pretentious democracy dies in the darkness. Oh. Washington Post. I think they've had that one pre-Bezos. It's epic. I like it. I, I Democracy like, yeah, dies yeah, in are, the darkness. These are great. These are great slogans. Right. They are. No representation of reality at all. No. Especially looking at that last no, war. No, no, no. None. Not at all. But I will say that the, you know, the, the Madison Avenue PR companies that came up with these Bravo. slogans. Good slogans. Bravo. Good slogans. They stick in your brain. Bravo, for sir. For sure. And then getting James Earl Jones's voice. Yeah. Gravitas. Yes. I'll give Gravity. it to him. Give it to him. Gravity. Yeah. But don't know. Is CNN going to be able to come back? And become the Ted Turner glory days? Well, keep in mind, CNN made that choice, though, not out of... You had MSNBC, you had Fox News, and both of those organizations were having um, um, commentary. Meaning MSNBC had, like, Rachel Maddow, Keith Olbermann, right, all those things. followed face. everybody else. Exactly. So it wasn't a situation that CNN just did that on a whim. They did that because they thought, we needed to do well, this in Fox order to compete. Fox came out first right. with their slanted version yeah. of the news. Right. And then MSNBC was like, well, Fox is doing it, so we're going to go to this side. We need our Democratic we're propaganda go, outlet. Right. We're going to go to our side and yeah. become MS, uh, MSDNC. Yeah. Right. We're going to do that. And then and CNN was like, all right, we need to compete with these guys. Right. So How do we we're, compete? We're going to become partisan, too. Exactly. And it was just it, everyone joined the club. That's so. what I mean, though. Like, that hard news thing may not work in the context of the current news environment. CNN made the choice to get away from hard news for that specific reason and competing with other people. Him trying to go back to it. Misses that initial well, fact. Well, the, the new guy, right? Yeah. Let's see if the if the new boss is the same as the old boss, because yeah. they usually are. But we'll see. It I don't know. Interesting. We'll see. But I remember as a kid, you know, watching the the Kuwait War and watching those those beautiful rockets. Yep. As, as yep. Brian Williams said, spouting off into the sky in the middle of the night. And I remember thinking, like, fire in the sky lights my something. He was touching himself yeah. as he was watching Ugh, it. He was making yeah. some weird poetic yeah. whatever about yeah. freaking. Like rockets shooting people dying, basically. people dying on the other end of it. Yeah. But all right, whatever. But I remember, you know, being this young kid watching this on TV and thinking, like, oh, I want to do that. I want to report. I want to be there. I want to, you know, and be the anchor. But do but the news. By yeah. the time, you know, by the time I was old enough to to get into this field, the media landscape changed, yeah. and nobody, there's no trust. There's no. So there was there was no place for me to go, but alternative media. Right. Because I refused to be that. Yeah. I, I didn't want my big chiclet teeth and my <laughs> spray tan and, you know, become this blonde Asian because they, they all do. Let's, yeah. let's face it. Oh, when they get on when they get on national television. They, yeah, they get on national television, they become like this blonde Asian. They give up like their Asian-ness. Charlie didn't do that. No, that's we're talking about the you're talking right, the 80s. 80s. I'm sorry. 80s. I'm talking about today. Fair enough. Fair so enough. So I'm like, no, that's not who I am. Like this is who I am. Like yeah. I have tattoos. I have my thoughts, my opinions, and and I can keep them out of the concrete news happening. Like I give you both. This is what I think. This is what happened. Yeah. Right. Like, like sure. Here's my opinion of this. Here's what actually happened. Here's my opinion of it. You can make of it what you want, yeah. but here's here are the facts on the ground. And nobody does that anymore. Supposedly CNN's coming back. <laughs> so, I don't know. We'll see. Um, but we still will give you the actual news, which we'll get to right now, yes. actually. Because um, there's only a few really big stories happening right now. Um, as far as domestic news, uh, we know that the suspected gunman in the 4th of July parade mass shooting... Uh, over in Highland Park, Illinois, the 
Lake County State's attorney, Eric Reinhardt, said this during a press conference. He says, today, the Lake County State's attorney's office has charged Robert Cremo III with seven counts of first-degree murder. Authorities intend on charging Cremo with dozens more crimes uh, as, you know, the investigation unfolds. Cremo is facing a life sentence without the possibility of parole if convicted. Then a Mississippi judge on Tuesday rejected a lawsuit challenging the state's so-called trigger law restricting abortions in response to SCOTUS overturning the Roe v. Wade decision. That's according to the AP. The state's solo abortion clinic, Jackson Women's Health Organization, filed a lawsuit in attempt to block the trigger law restrictions and continue providing services. The law is expected to take effect this Thursday. Then the Biden administration filed a different lawsuit against Arizona on Tuesday over a law there in that state requiring proof of citizenship in order to vote. While the voting as a non-citizen is already illegal under U.S. federal law, the DOJ has argued that asking for proof of citizenship is unlawful and unnecessary. So right now what Arizona is doing is they're asking you for like a state driver's license, state ID card before somebody can cast their ballot. Uh, This law in Arizona apparently goes retroactive as well. So I don't know how that they're going to do all of that and, you know, reconcile previous voting. That makes no sense. So I don't know, but that's what their law is. Yeah. But the government's lawsuit against Arizona alleges that these restrictions violate the National Voter Registration Act and the Civil Rights Act. Then international news. Mm. While the Turkish, Finnish, and Swedish leaders have signed a protocol that ostensibly ends a dispute over support for Kurdish groups and individuals, Ankara has signaled it expects those countries, Finland and Sweden, to live up to their end of the bargain So on Turkey's NTV television station Monday, the Turkish foreign minister Mevlut Kavasolu said Helsinki and Stockholm have to end their support for Kurdish groups and extradite wanted Kurds to Turkey as agreed upon during the NATO summit in Madrid. He says they have to comply with this document. If they don't, then we won't allow them to join NATO. Pretty easy. No soup for you. Right. Pretty simple. Then on Tuesday, Boris Johnson had to shore up his cabinet after some shock resignations of two of his most senior ministers, Sajid Javid and Rishi Sunak. The UK health secretary and chancellor quit within 10 minutes of each other, claiming they could no longer support Prime Minister Johnson amid the fallout rocking number 10 Downing Street. To add more fuel to that fire, Robin Walker resigned as schools minister, saying he no longer has faith in the prime minister. The MP for Worcester posted his resignation letter on social media. So forget calling the boss. Just put it up on social media. If it didn't happen on Instagram, it didn't happen in real life. Earlier, Will Quince, a junior education minister, also joined the wave of resignations. Then the Philippines, looking to increase the scope of ties with China beyond the South China Sea dispute and is open to military exchanges now with Beijing. That's according to the newly minted president, Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr. Quote, one of the ways I have consistently suggested is that we have our relationship not only on one dimension, the West Philippine Sea. Marcos said, speaking at a press briefing on Tuesday, referring to the Philippines' official name for parts of the South China Sea that the country claims. He said, 
Let's add to that. Let's have cultural exchanges, educational exchanges, even military, if that will be useful. Then some economics and finance news for you. Nearly three-fifths of the public here in the U.S. believe the actions of the U.S. government and President Biden's policies are hurting them. And only 5% say they are primarily concerned about protecting abortion rights, according to a new Monmouth University poll. Quote, a majority 57% say the actions of the federal government over the last six months have hurt their family. When it comes to their most important concern, just 8% say Washington has helped them. That's the press release from Monmouth. The figure marks a sharp increase in the number of those blaming the U.S. Gov and the Biden administration for their economic woes. Previously, 34 to 47% had said government actions had hurt them. So that number way up. Uh, Some funny news of the day. Oh, funny, annoying. There's a couple in San Francisco who got a $1,500 parking violation with an additional $250 every day thereafter, now that they have acknowledged receiving this ticket, for parking, for a parking violation, in their own driveway. Because the city of San Francisco says that this couple has been parking for decades in violation of an old parking code that bans motor vehicles of all sorts from being parked on a car pad or set back from your house unless it's accompanied by a garage or cover. So San Francisco, despite all of their rampant crime, rampant homelessness, rampant drug use, overt drug use on the streets, they're going after this old couple, Ed and Judy Crane. Uh, So this poor old couple now stuck with thousands of dollars in fines for parking their own car in their driveway. Thanks, city of San Francisco. And then this day in history, back in 1912, King Gustav V officially opens the fifth Summer Olympics in Stockholm. How apropos. In 1964, Malawi gains its independence from Britain. In 1975, Comoros Island becomes independent after 137 years of French rule. In the year 2006, Natula Pass, a trading post between India and China, opens for business. And that will do it for your headlines this Wednesday, July 6th. You are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM and 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like and share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202 521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. And I want to go to our guests immediately. We have the one and only John Kariaku. He's a former CIA officer, co-host of Political Misfits on Radio Sputnik, and author of books including The CIA Insider's Guide to Iran Crisis and Reluctant Spy. And if I'm being honest, probably one of my favorite guests to come on the show <laughs> that works here. John, what's going on, my man? How you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I am doing great. Better that you are with us. And I wanted to hit these documents. Basically, they were exposing secret wars. These are coming out from Intercept. Um, Intercept does a great job sometimes in exposing some of those like the 
Throne program and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Here's another one that is coming out. And these are apparently 14 so-called 127E programs. Um, and these were active in the greater Middle East and Asia-Pacific regions as recently as 2020. And I guess these are almost like, I guess, a proxy war. It's almost like a force that we get in a local area. We fund them, we pay them, and they're basically our guys in those areas. And they can basically do jobs in a clandestine way. Most of the people don't know they exist. Most of Americans don't know they exist. Most of Congress don't know they exist. And they are out there doing X or Y for the country. Yes. Astonishing stuff. Like yes. it, I, and, and it's been going on for decades. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Generations. Mm -hmm. Right. We did it in Southeast Asia during right. the Vietnam War. We did it in, in Lao uh, right and uh, that's right. <laughs> With that's Operation right. Gladio, wouldn't that's that count? Right. Operation Gladio. We yeah. had secret bases in Thailand at the mm -hmm. time. We had secret bases in the Philippines. Wow. And it's extended, you know, through uh, the Iraq War mm -hmm. where we had what was supposed to be a secret Iraqi army, yeah. it fell apart before the first shot was fired. Oh, I um, see. They were, before we went in, yeah, they were trying well to build. Before. Interesting. Yes. They were trying to basically build. A, yeah, this, they were this, all they were all housed in Jordan. This is so aggravating, John. Because <laughs> what it means is it's like these are wars that are basically being started to make it look as if these are civil wars. Yeah. But they're not really civil wars. Domestic uprisings. Yeah. They're not. They're not. Like in Syria. No, there was like, oh, not. they rose up against Assad. And it's like, yeah. not no, really. Not really. Not really. No. No. And now they're all over Africa. All over Africa. You know, every once in a while, we'll have a special forces uh, uh, officer or soldier uh, killed mm -hmm. in action. Niger was the last one. That was the last yeah. one. And people were like, Whoa, several people. Why America's there? like, well, where, where was he yeah. when was he was there? killed? Why was he there? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It's classified. Right. We can't talk about it. Well, it, it kind of points to the fact that we do have these secret wars ongoing and we're not accountable to anybody, not to Capitol Hill, not to the American people, certainly not to the media. Yeah. We only find out about these things by accident. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty ugly. Explain this for us because uh, I was, the article was going into Afghanistan, basically making a point of saying how, again, Afghanistan was one of those things that they were trying to use this kind of secret military for. Sure. And look on his face, you can see why it's valuable. If you if you don't want accountability, you want a distance between whatever you want to get accomplished versus you, and you don't want the American soldiers into it, you don't want Congress to get involved in it, and you say, hey, we have a program that gets people who are on the ground, and we give them money, weapons, training, and everything else, and we create our own little force, and we can give them orders to do X or Y. Mm -hmm. And from anybody's perspective outside, it just looks like there's something going on in the country itself. And we will come out and we'll be like, oh, the government is being belligerent to that uprising of people who See, are there. That, that's exactly the plan. The logic makes all the sense in the world. Let's look what happened uh, beginning on September 12th, mm -hmm. 2001. Yeah. All right. Uh, right after the September 11th attacks, we sent in to Afghanistan a very small group, a dozen people from the CIA, mm -hmm. right? No military people. They were all CIA people. They parachuted in to Northern Afghanistan to liaise with the Northern Alliance. Okay. The Northern Alliance gave them some horses. They parachuted <laughs> in, of course, with supplies. But the idea was to train and arm and fund the Northern Alliance and let the Northern Alliance fight this nice, neat little war with the Taliban overthrow them, snatch bin Laden, and we all live happily ever after. Right, right. And that's just not the way it worked out. Right, and it never works out that way. <laughs> right, it's supposed to be like this neat little thing. Like you brought up Laos, like I'm Lao right here, Lao person. I heard all the stories 
you know, and it, it was probably, you know, at least to in Asian countries like Laos and Cambodia were probably the the biggest operation that the CIA has undertaken. Yeah, absolutely. And and it went on for a decade. Nobody batted mm-hmm. an eye. Mm-hmm. And you know, there And these were the bombings. These are these are the the, yeah. the secret war. You know, mm-hmm. it was known as the secret war. People always dub it, you know, Nixon secret war, but this went on for four presidents. Yeah. Four. So That's this right. is this has been ongoing for a long time and it was supposed to be a nice neat little way to put the commies away. Uh-huh. Right for the U.S. to do away with the commies and not actually bring us into war because we're already, you know, in a, at a factual war right. and a, a government-approved, congressionally-approved Vietnam War. That is the war that you know that was serving as the veil uh-huh. for what the CIA could go in and do mm-hmm. in Laos and Cambodia for a decade. And that's, I mean, that that's horrific. And you know, there are other elements of people in the government that had to know, but nobody says anything. And imagine Somalia. I mean, this has been going on right. since Bill Clinton was president. Yeah. I mean, there are guys fighting in Somalia who weren't born when Bill Clinton was president. <laughs> wow. And these, and I'm amazed by this because I see the value of it and I can see why it will be sure. a seductive tool to use. It's better that they die rather than exactly. die. Exactly. Exactly. That was like the congressman. He was like, he says, look, Crenshaw. this is a deal. Crenshaw, yeah. right. He sure. says, this is a deal. We just put in money. They put their lives on the line and, you know, we don't have to get involved. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be like this on steroids. These programs, though, is there any oversight? I mean, there has to be somebody who's aware of the operation outside. I mean, is it just See, inside the Pentagon? That's really the, the crux of the problem here yeah. is that there is no oversight, no external oversight. This is what Congress is supposed to be doing. That's why we have oversight committees. The problem is you've got, what, hundreds of thousands of people under Pentagon jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. And then on Capitol Hill, on the oversight committees, you have, what, two dozen people? Not that many. To oversee the entire Pentagon and its nearly trillion-dollar budget and all of its secret operations. It's just not possible. And the Pentagon knows that. Yeah. And so what they'll do is they'll say, well, there's no reason for oversight of this. I mean, you oversee the Department of the Army. Right. And this falls under Department of the Army. So just, you know, take our word for it. Right. And they just go with that. Have these ever escalated conflicts in a way where people look around and, like, have no idea why the conflict escalated and yet it's there? Meaning, like, these forces are being used in this kind of um, clandestine way, and it ends up creating a crisis that is larger. But people from externally looking at it think to themselves, okay, that's happening in country, not realizing that these are these kind of proxy secret wars that are basically taking place that just escalated a conflict into something that it wasn't supposed to be prior. Well, I think I think the best example is uh, Central America in the 1980s where we we had— uh, Those kill squads. Right. It, it started off, you know, with, with um, Nicaragua mm-hmm. and an election—not an election, a revolution, rather, in Nicaragua. Sandinistas. Where, yeah, Daniel Ortega and the yeah. Sandinistas uh, took power. They took power because Anastasio Somoza mm-hmm. was a brutal dictator, murdering his own people, stealing the natural resources of the, of the country, yeah. um, hiding the money overseas— the place was ripe for a revolution. Mm-hmm. And so that revolution came. Well, in the beginning, the Carter administration provided aid to Daniel Ortega. Okay. We supported this revolution right. at the end of the Carter administration because Somoza was such a bad guy. It was understood. Everybody yeah. understood it. Yeah. Right. But then 
you know, there we start hearing from Ronald Reagan about the domino effect, and then <laughs> El Salvador is going to fall, and then Guatemala is going to fall, and Honduras is going to fall, and then they create these death squads to defend the people against communism. In fact, what wow. they do is just go into the countryside and slaughter entire villages of people yeah. who may or may not someday become sympathetic to leftists. Yeah, and so. At the end of the decade, you're like, why Why are we fighting this war? Yeah. Well, let's I don't not, remember. Let's not forget, I mean, if we're talking about South America, that we have, since I believe 1946, we have hosted School of the Americas. Yes. Uh, we, mo- we moved it. Well, it's WISC now, you know, a right. Western Hemispheric, I forget the, yeah. the acronym, right. but it's still SOA to me, the School of the Americas. <laughs> yes. Um, but where we have literally trained, that school has pumped out what has proven to be the most brutal killers. and yeah. and horrible dictators, killers, mass killers in South America. And then we send in CIA folks to Robert, go support Robert that. Robert Perry, who was the legendary reporter for the Associated yes. Press. In, uh, who founded in, Consortium in, News. Who founded Consortium News. That's right. He's the one that broke the story that the CIA had secretly provided its 1950s-era assassination manual to the Contra rebels. That's fun. Uh-huh. And was using the Garbage. assassination manual to teach students— It's a good read, —at the John. School of the Americas. It's pretty brutal <laughs> read. You say it is. What's—wow. In <laughs> fact, Skyhorse Publishing—just, I'm going to blow my own horn here. Uh-huh. <laughs> Skyhorse Publishing is republishing it because it's wow. in the public domain. Oh, wow. And I'm going to write the introduction. Oh, is it oh, out that's of copyright? Great. Yeah. At this, oh, that's oh, yeah. why. It was published in the 50s. I need so to find, oh, I need to find domain. that book. Wow. Yeah, yeah I need to ugly. find that book. It's ugly. ugly. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that that is, I don't want to say cynical. I think oftentimes when we look at the world, we look at it in these kind of colory terms and we think, oh, morality, good, bad, et cetera. What if you take that off the table? You have an objective. Mm-hmm. I need to accomplish this objective. I can kill, steal, beat, do anything under the, everything is subordinate to be accomplishing objectives. I would imagine that would be very dark. That would be oh some very God, dark yes. stuff. I, you know, I, I, I participated in a secure video teleconference um, once in just the days, two, three days before we invaded Iraq. Yeah. And one of the senior directors at the National Security Council giddily said, um, as soon as we cross that border, they're going to throw flowers at us. And everybody like, seriously? nodded. Why the vice president is nodding. So they really believe stuff like this. Because I always oh, think yeah. to myself, there's no way to believe this. But oh, they no, do. No. They are true believers. Wow. Because we're the good guys. Remember? They actually, but they really believe that? I, I, I left that meeting and I said to my boss, have none of these people ever taken a Middle Eastern history course? I'm <laughs> right. None of them. That's astonishing they, that they believe they, that. They mm-hmm. really literally believe that America would be gre- greeted as liberators. liberators. Yeah. Yes, liberators. Like that was genuine. Oh, yeah. Uh, and this was a serious meeting. It was chaired by the vice president. It was Dick Cheney yeah. at the time. Condi Rice was on. Colin Powell was on. Uh, the commander of CENTCOM was on. The head of the CIA, the head of the NSA. Uh-huh. I was one of the note takers. And they're all like bobbleheads. But they're nobody knew better. Oh, I mean, no, 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 no. Because we're the good guys. We're going to liberate these people. I know. And they're going to be so I mean, grateful that they're going to give us their oil. They weren't just like like yes men. Like right. they weren't nodding along That's just being I mean. yes men. Like they genuinely believe. Like, not. yes, we are doing God's work. Because these are supposed to be the best and brightest. Exactly. Right? I mean, Condi Rice, she was a, she was a, a rock star. You would Colin th- Powell, guy's a national hero, four-star general. I mean, but you would think that there would be a distinction between what we 
say versus what is true, if right. that makes sense. And knowing that distinction, meaning then, I know my propaganda versus I know what's reality. And then getting back to my original point, when we first started this conversation, yeah. uh, we set up this, this, it was supposed to be an army. It was called the free Iraq army, right? Right. It's always free. Yeah. The free Iraq <laughs> army. It was going to be trained in Jordan. Uh, we set up this base. It was DOD and CIA. Mm-hmm. And, um, and every night, a handful of guys would climb over the fence and run away. And it got to the point where, you know, we're, we're ready to go into battle right. in, in a week or two and there's nobody left. They all ran away. So, you know, there, there are two conflicting views about how this thing is supposed to work out. That's, um, wow. That's amazing. I, I, wow. I mean, the fact that they keep using this program though gets across on some level, they're finding value in it. In some oh, yeah. particular fashion. Well, and the funny thing is, too, none of these people are students of history. And mm-hmm. so every 10 or 20 years, somebody will come up with exactly the same idea. And it's all greeted right. like this revelation. So when Obama comes in, Jake we're going to do the same right thing now. in Syria. Exactly. Right now, it's Jake Sullivan. Yeah. He's exactly. that boy. He's yeah. that boy. Exactly. Because he's right. around my age. He's around our age. Yeah. He's early, mm-hmm. early 40s. Yep. Right. And he thinks he's got these genius foreign policy ideas. Right. Where it's, it's like. Dude, did you not see what happened? It's all been done. In yeah. Iraq? It's like, all been done. You're not reinventing the wheel, brother. Like, wow. Yeah. I, I've mentioned on, on other shows, there was a very, very senior State Department official mm-hmm. that I was actually pretty friendly with. Yeah. And in a meeting one time, he said to me, there are no new ideas. Every idea has been thought of. Mm-hmm. Every idea. And if it's failed, it's failed. And these guys come in here like they just thought of this new incredible <laughs> idea that wasn't tried in the 50s and the 70s yeah. and the 90s. And they're going to try to implement and then they're going to be shocked when it fails. Death, uh, desk um, chairs on a Titanic. Yeah. We just shuffle them. Exactly. Around. I mean, it, I, wow, that's astonishing to me. I, I, I just kind of assumed that they were lying. I didn't think that they no, were no, true no. believers. They really believe this stuff. I just, I really find that that's more so disturbing. hard yeah. to believe. That's like, a, I believe you, John. Yeah, I, believe I, believe, you. I believe John. But I find it so hard to believe that's, at the same that time. That is that more disturbing to me, believe how, it or not. How could somebody, you know, think that... That's I mean, why, this is why I crack I on conspiracy theorists so it. much. Yeah. You know, I, I write for Covert Action Magazine. It tends to attract people who are of the more cynical view. Well, because their, their mindset is like ours. There's no way to believe that. Right. And right. so it's like there has to no be another reason. And the truth is, yeah. we're talking about huge lumbering bureaucracies, yeah. right? Huge bureaucracies. And we're talking about a whole lot of people who really aren't as bright as they want us to believe they are. Yeah. They're and, a bunch of Malcolm Nances. They're a bunch of Malcolm Nances. <laughs> I was just talking about him again yesterday. He's fun. He's back. Oh, he's back. He's back in the U.S. Oh, after his death-defying, oh, yeah, um, yeah. you know, he means of back, hugging like, a, a Polish a border. Week or two ago. Oh, good grief! Yeah, but he's, I he's going to be writing his memories. He was Trust probably me. hanging he probably out. Probably will. He was yeah. probably hanging out in Lithuania for a while. Right. You know, and like without he, a doubt, yeah, but, wasted in so like town in Poland. Yeah. Right. I mean, now that you know stuff is happening in Somalia where we're sending troops, I'm sure he's. You know, he's. He's a, a he follows boots everywhere, right? Like so, wherever the boots go, he wants to be a part of it, and and sort of just like in a para para paramilitary sense, <laughs> right? And in a sad parody of the word, and he's probably going to go to Somalia next, right? Yeah. I mean, now that we he, the he Biden has will. sent troops over there, and 
you know, stuff is popping off in Somalia, he's probably going to go there next because that's he needs to write his next book. But that's that's how you know things are happening. <laughs> May I add something? So you sad. just reminded me of something. On on my very first trip to Yemen, mm-hmm. it was in 1990. There were still mm-hmm. two Yemens, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And uh, I was meeting with the uh, U.S. ambassador. It was a courtesy call. This was my first CIA trip. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I asked him a very naive question. I was like 24, 25 years old at the time. I said, Mr. Ambassador, what national interest do we have here? Yeah. <laughs> and he thought about it for a second and he said, none. Then why we there? don't have any national interests here. Then why there? And the reason I'm, I'm saying that Manila reminded me of, of this is what national interests do we have in Somalia? Yeah. Seriously. None. Yeah. We have no national interest there. Well, that kind of leads to the question, well, why are we there then? Is exactly. it just geopolitical control? And that's the question we should be asking our policymakers. Yeah. Why are we there? Why are we committing American troops, American lives? Yeah. Why are we committing our taxpayers' money to a place where we have literally no national interests? And most people don't even know where it is. No. And well, this kind of leads to your consortium news article that you wrote. And this was July. Let me see. When did this come up? Yeah, July. 4th. July 5th, 2022. I was and pretty it says, mad when I wrote it. Hold the fireworks. <laughs> Hold the fireworks. Uh, let's get into that a bit. Because in, in uh, this line, it says most Washingtonians in the evening feeling energized and patriotic. I left this year feeling disgusted and angry. Mm-hmm. Go into that for me for a moment, because you're not the only one. When we were looking at the poll the other day about Americans and how they feel about um, being proud and everything, the num- it dropped precipitously. I think it was like a 20-point drop in people. I mean, yeah. Republicans, Democrats. I mean, it was under Everybody. 50% across the board. Yes. That's right. astonishing. It's approximately one, only one-third yeah. responded positively yeah. to it. What was yours? I mean, and, and again, this is not— I don't think this is indicative of the way people see people in the U.S. I think this is indicative of criticism of the government itself and the way that it functions, this kind of cultural norm um, that we basically exist in. I think people resent it on some level. They feel that their priorities and the things that they care about are not necessarily the things that are prized by the people in power and the way that the government functions. And that creates a certain amount of hostility towards the same government. Well, what pushed me over the edge was um, Roe v. Wade. I see. That, you know, all my life, and and maybe this is— my own naivete, but all my life, I viewed the Supreme Court as the adults in the room. Same. Right? You can't trust the president, no matter who the president is. Right. You certainly can't trust the Congress, because every one of them thinks they should be president. <laughs> right. right? All right, 535 right. of them, they all think they should be president. So it was always the Supreme Court that was above the fray, or supposed to be above the fray. Yeah. And this this Supreme Court is the most conservative in at least a century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that some of these decisions that we saw in the past week are going to rank up there historically with the Dred Scott decision. I, I really see. do. Yeah. Uh, it's, they've set us back generations. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that really made me mad. Another thing, it was like a kick while we're down, was this poor guy in Akron, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, take a shot a little times. Yeah. You take a sh- you take a shot at the cops. All right. You're you're risking your life right. doing that. But the cops knew that he had left the gun in the car when he fled, and they fired ninety shots at him. They hit him sixty times. You need to shoot somebody sixty times. And then we learned this morning, the Washington Post reported that when they brought his dead body into the hospital. It was handcuffed. Oh. They 
handcuffed him after shooting, shooting him, 60, him times. 60 times. So, you know, Roe v. Wade and just this, this epidemic we have of police murdering people. Yeah. Um, there was a poll released by Monmouth University last night around 8 o'clock mm -hmm. that shows Joe Biden's approval rating um, at the lowest level of any president since the advent of polling. That sounds about right. Oh. That sounds about right. Seriously, yeah. right? 36%. You know, I remember Ronald Reagan saying in the 1980s, the thing about, about American elections is you're going to have 40% of people who always vote for the Democrats. Right. Even sure. if Satan himself, he said, <laughs> were running as a Democrat, 40% would vote for him. And you have about 40% that will vote for the Republican no matter mm -hmm. what. That's not true anymore. Yeah. It's that we, we don't like anybody yeah. that runs for president. Another thing I put in this article that really made me mad, a buddy of mine, and I'm sure he's a friend of yours, Matthew Ho. Yes. Um, yeah, he comes on every yeah, time. Matthew is running, was running for the U.S. Senate um, as the Green Party uh, candidate in North Carolina. He gets a text message the other day. Hi, Matthew. Uh, I'm calling from the Democratic ah. Senatorial Campaign Committee, and I see that you signed um, a petition to put the Green Party on the ballot. Would you consider removing your name? Really? And he said, no, I, w I wouldn't consider why would I do removing that? my name. Yeah. yeah, why would I do that? And so the guy texts him back and says, hi, Matthew, this is Drew again. Uh, you know, when the <laughs> Green Party's on the ballot, it hurts Democrats. And if you hurt Democrats, Republicans are going to win these uh, these races. Right there. Yeah. That's always the argument. Won't you please remove your name? Yep. And he's like, no, I'm not going to remove my name. It's just always the bifurcation of like you only have vanilla or chocolate. Yep. Like That's right. Well, what they ended up doing is they hired an A-list law firm, Elias Law, in Charlotte, North Carolina. They sued the Green Party and they removed the <gasps> Green Party from the ballot in uh, North Carolina. Matthew is no longer a Senate. John, That's no called kidding. democracy. Yeah. It's called fascism. And then to yeah. make matters on what worse, grounds? how do you remove the candidate based on a lawsuit? They found some kind of what technicality. They, what they did is they they actually went to people's homes who had signed Matthew's petition and they bullied them into removing their names. So he needed 16,000 signatures, uh -huh. 16,200, I think is what it was. He submitted more than 20,000. They got more than 4,000 people to remove their names. And then they said, oh, he doesn't have enough signatures. They went to more than 4,000 people. And it had to be more because they're not going to get right. everybody right. who they go to. Right. In order to specifically remove them. And what, in order to allow the Democratic candidate to win that. And race. what's not being reported is they also did it in Texas and Iowa and Arizona and Colorado. Wow. And there are no Green Party candidates on any of those And this ballots. is all on the part of the DNC. All oh. on the part of the DNC. Does the, does the Republican Party... Yes, do the same. <laughs> they do this to the libertarians, right? And they've been they've been unsuccessful in Texas because they were a week late when they went to court to make the complaint on a technicality. On a technicality, but they were successful in removing the libertarians from the ballot in Arizona and a couple of other places. That is infuriating. You have no idea how infuriating that is to hear that. That's why I sat down. I was so <laughs> mad. I sat down and I wrote that. That op-ed, and I said in the beginning, I know I'm going to take a lot of crap from people for this because it's going to—they're going to accuse me of being un-American. 
Sure. Right? Well, you know what? This is un-American. That's un-American. Right. That's right. All of that is un-American. Let's be very clear about it. I mean, this is not a situation where we're talking about something that isn't a benefit of the citizenry. I mean, if the public wants to go out and put in a Green Party candidate, that is the right of the public to do so. It is not the right for the party to basically say, we need a better chance to get in office, and so we need to do whatever we need to do, even if it's behind the scenes, in order to get our candidate in office. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Sanders would have – Sanders intentionally had a debate with the guy, um, Hills is opposition, Republican opposition. He didn't have to do it. He did it because he thought America matters more. That's right. And the public gets a choice. That's right. It's that. And th- somewhere along the way, that is off the reservation now. I mean, it's mm-hmm. this whole John Wayne thing. He's not my president. I didn't vote for him, but I hope he does well. That's I not where we are. Him, right. No, no, no. We've long yeah. departed that. Yeah. Now, John, I know you have to go, um, but is ranked choice voting any better? California's uh, doing that. Yes. See, really, this is the this is the answer, uh-huh. and, and this is what Matthew Ho is talking about in uh, in North Carolina. If you if you want to vote for somebody and you know he has no choice, right? But you don't want to, you know, quote unquote, throw your vote away. Ranked choice voting is the truly democratic yeah. way to go. This is this is where this is what we should be doing in every state. I think they do it in Maine. They do. Because, yeah. well, you know, they put it on a referendum. Right. The public in Maine went with it. The political parties were both opposed. Pulled it back. Yeah. yeah. At which point the public was like, no, no, we're being serious about this. Yeah. This is what we want. Yeah, they didn't want it for the obvious reason. If you do that, the pressure for you to vote for a particular Democrat or right. for a particular Republican goes California's away. California's starting and, it this year. And, and so is Alaska. And this, that's why this is going to be such a fascinating congressional race in Alaska. Because uh, Sarah Palin is running. Is she? She's back on the ballot. Oh, for she's Senate, on the ballot. For, she, for, for House. Oh, House. Yeah, Excuse she's me, yes. one of four people that made it to the runoff. Uh-huh. But, but with ranked choice uh, balloting, who knows it's what's going to happen. Right, it's anybody's yeah. game. Right? Interesting. John, always appreciate your visits, man. John Kiriakou is a My former pleasure. CIA officer, co-host of Political Misfits on Radio Sputnik, and author of the books including CIA Insider's Guide to the Iran Crisis and Reluctant Spy. You can follow John on Twitter at John Kiriakou and learn more about him at johnkiriakou.com. And by the way, just to be clear, Political um, Misfits, 12 o'clock noon. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Chan, back in a moment. We'll be taking your calls. 202-521-1320. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station at Washington, D.C. And we are taking your calls. The number is 202-521-1320. We have about 10 minutes left. Um, John, always enjoy John on this. Yeah. Mark from New York. What's going on, Mark? Doing all right this morning? Well, yes, uh, good morning, good morning. I'm feeling better. That's like cold, but... Uh, oh, excellent. I'm calling for two two reasons. Uh, how are you and how was your weekend, uh, Miss Chan and uh, Jamal? Oh, very good. Thank yeah. you. I can't complain low. about it. Yeah. I got to, self, got, got to see family this weekend, so I can't complain. Yeah, yeah, that's the reason we do it. It certainly can't be to watch the bright lights too much. Right? <laughs> that's right. Arms and the, the, the closest Americans come to seeing war on the shores to watch for if you like sparkles. <laughs> I would go sparkles. Or if you just put a city camera on the streets of Southside Chicago. Or that. You could do that. Or that. Yeah, uh, yeah, you could. Yeah, that's a terrible thing that's happened there. But uh, it's uh, reflective of the state of uh, mind here in the in, uh, United States. Um, Dig into that for a moment, Mark. Oh. Dig into that for a moment, Mark. Huh? Dig into that for a moment. Because you seem like you'd be the one who would have a clear take 
in regards to the gun. We've been having this question about why the U.S. Well, why the U.S. Radio's up. We, yeah, by the way, yeah. yeah, we could hear ourselves. Yeah, we can hear ourselves talking. Um, Am echoing? Say my phone is echoing. Yeah, it's echoing. We can hear ourselves talking in the background. Talking in the background. Like that. Is that better? I think so, maybe. Maybe. Nope. A little, little bit better, but, but but go for it. If you if you're talking, yeah, it's talk, not, we're not talk to hear us it. about the gun stuff because especially in in New York where you guys have just changed the laws to allow average citizens to get these uh, carry permits that you don't have to be a special you know a quote special person like a diamond dealer or Jamie Diamond <laughs> um, that now the average citizen can apply and doesn't need to justify why they need to have a gun. Well, I, I think the gun laws are just an overreach. Um, I'm I'm not a I'm a proponent for uh, gun gun restriction, but not gun control to the extent that the average citizen should have a right to bear arms. And particularly when it, I think about the history of America and the setting upon of terrorists and even police state on uh, the African American community. Uh, the evidence is overwhelmingly for reasons for being armed, even against the so-called white militia that uh, were literally participants in the recapture of slaves. But, uh, of course, we're not there then, but there's a reason why they also restricted that when it came to urban uh, urbanites and areas of black communities. So you're not supposed to legitimately be able to have possession of a gun. And I don't believe in just randomly possessing a gun. I believe you should be trained. And once you receive the training, and you're avid, you're, you do the proper training, the criminals, including the little gangbanger, the guys who are running around here who are shooting people innocently uh, or randomly, can't shoot anyway. Uh, some of them do need to be stopped, and it's not going to be the police at the incident, the time that the threat arises. And as we saw in Vivaldi, the kind of situation where there are cowardice of the police, there are cowards. An astonishing level of cowardice. Oh. level of cowardice. They hid. They hid. Well, it wasn't mean, necessarily them, to be clear. It was that there, the, there were police that were in the hallways and their senior command would not allow them yes. to move forward. Yes. Again, I, I, I'm characterizing the command. So when we're talking about it, we're talking about it as a one troop. There's not a bad apple. Don't we don't need to do that dance. Let's be clear. Uh, the command and the, uh, the institution itself, and the type of killing that even John mentioned, when you can kill a guy with 90 bullets and then uh, put a handcuff on it, it says something about the institution itself. Mm-hmm. From a labor perspective as well, it is a it has a fascist component to it. We just brought over a lot of uh, new waving immigrants who are from Ukraine, and that culture itself embedded not in the American values per se, which there are questions about that, but also having Nazi components to it. Oh, and readily could be oh, I, I've worked in the police force over in Ukraine. I didn't say I was an asthma person too. Uh, that's okay. So with regards to uh, what just happened also with the shooting there, it's appalling, obviously. Uh, the, the sickos are out there, but we have to deal with our own culture, the glamorization of war without actually seeing it. And then we have it with these young men who are often rec- can be recruited for Army and can be brought into Detroit, but they can't buy beer, Right. Uh, but we, we don't realize what our own culture has done because, as John said, and as we all know, there's a lot of dumb people in our government, in our society, running things. And we, as that's why we got to read that 40-page memo. Look. <laughs> 
Because there's so much of our own civic duty and responsibility that we need to own individually as well as collectively as to what we should know and not accept and know what these trails are leading us to. Agreed. Mark, how, how is that, that ranked choice voting stuff working out in New York? Are people liking it? To work well, uh, and, it, and it has, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, its first tie was uh, last season for mayor, and I thought it uh, and, and other council people, but I believe it was for the mayor. I don't remember hitting the levels of the uh, lower ranked council people. And so, but I think it's an excellent choice, and I think it's, it just requires us to do our diligence and to also now we can step in and have someone from the Green Party ticket or someone who has a different point of view from the standard party. But they will, and they did it. They they done it before. The Democrats are just as dirty here as anywhere else. That's right. Uh, and I'm not a I'm not a Republican or a Democrat at this point. I, I really disillusioned with the Democrats and what I've seen from their machinery. Uh, I wanted to mention just one other thing that John said about why are we in Somalia. Uh, there's a re-scrambling for, for Africa. Mm-hmm. And the European the former colonists, much of their middle class was built on the after benefits of World War II. You've certainly talked about the constructs of that. Mm-hmm. You all know. And I understand you had Michael Hudson on yesterday, so that's beautiful. That being said, they don't have the resources of modern-day economies, the mineral wealth or otherwise. So France is going back in, and they've always had control of the banking, the economic and the monetary system. But that's where they're being challenged. And thank goodness that people are waking up in South America, Africa, and the global south and saying no more. We just want to do business. We want to get a fair trade. We want to build something for our people. I saw a video of the Chinese building a bridge from there to Taiwan. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. See what they're yeah. doing to break the things that help expand commerce, to help people. And all we want to do as Westerners, you're foreign, the imperial empire, is tear it down. When are we going to evolve into a citizenry, into a, into a sense, of, sense of billions that we all can, this is the world's big enough for all of us to get along. But we got these people just think they can take, 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 take. It's unacceptable. Yeah, take and want control. A little bit of both. Yeah. Mark, thank you, my man. Always appreciate yeah, your commentary. I hope you feel better. I could tell your voice is a little under Weaker. the weather. Yeah. I hope you feel better. Yeah, still got the passion in. But oh, absolutely. Yeah, we can feel it. Mark, thank you, my man. Guys, we are coming to the end of the show. We have about a minute and a half left. Um, I want to thank all of you. We had great guests for today. I always enjoy um, John Caracco. I'm a sucker for John Kerryaku coming on the show. Yes, he's, it, it, he's a wealth of knowledge and stories that are legitimate. Yeah, he unlike, was there. And unlike like, Malcolm Nance. It, it's shocking to hear some of those stories. I think like, Malcolm Nance is my favorite punching bag yeah. right now because he's so ludicrous. It's yeah. just so over the top. Yeah. But like, I just, it, it, he's just like, he's got to be the media punching bag. Somebody's got to say it. Somebody's got to say it. <laughs> Someone has a point fun at that. He, yeah, it is funny. I mean, that video that we did on Malcolm Nance, massive views. People were laughing the entire way through. He's ridiculous. Yeah. But, guys, I want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank our engineer. I want to thank our producers. I want to thank my co-host, Manila Chan. Thank you, tomorrow. I want to thank all of the people who are basically rumblers or listening on the radio. Thank you, rumblers. All of you. You guys have a phenomenally awesome day. We will see you bright and early tomorrow morning. Have a good one, guys. Fault Lines.